Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. Danielle Renee. Hey, gang, just a reminder to go check out all of our friends. Go to Mignolaverse.com to check out all the Hellboy, BPRD, and related news and reviews. There's some great articles there being written by a great crew of people, including many of our listeners, Alex Aronowitz, Tom Hardman, Brian Levy, and of course, thanks to Kevin Alford for all you do. On Mike Mignola's art Facebook page, things are always good over there. There's going to be an epic raffle going on soon. I can't say much about it for now, but it's going to be for a great cause, and the prize pack is going to be a doozy. Craig McKnight is working on an epic haul, so keep your eye on that page. Make sure to follow them on Facebook, and um, check them out towards the end of the month. Also, go buy Hellboy and related merch for the holidays. Replicas at Skeleton Crew and prints from Art of Mike Mignola. Hint, hint. There's some uh, Skeleton Crew stuff on there that for pre-order that I would really be into. <laughs> <laughs> One r- really cool thing that was announced this week, we're going to be doing Hellboy Day. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Mignola and Dark Horse Comics are celebrating the success of Hellboy by naming March 23rd, 2019 Hellboy Day in honor of the 25th anniversary of the character. That's fun. Dark Horse will publish a 25th anniversary print of Hellboy Seat of Destruction number one with all new cover illustrated by Mignola and Dave Stewart. Do you see that this Seat of Destruction number one cover? Cool. I did. Yeah. It looks pretty awesome. It's like a modern, it's like, because his style has yeah. evolved so much and it's like the same image, but in the, oh, I just love it's it. So, so It's so cool. Yeah. I can't wait to own that. Participating comic book shops will be giving away tattoo sheets, a right hand of doom bookmark, a window cling, and a new version of the Mignolaverse timeline. Dark Horse will also be selling previous issues of Hellboy comics at a discounted price. So go check out your local comic book store and tell them to order this stuff to participate in Hellboy Day so you can get all those goodies. Now we're going to talk about some listener feedback. We got some Hey You Damn Guys from Josh Worley, and he called it Frogger's Ghost. Hell oh, he says. So I've got a couple things to throw out to the club. I agree that the recaps are a waste of time. He's talking about those more <laughs> frog recaps. And we have some more discussion on that later, too. (laughs) I've been on board for everything related to the Mignola universe since the first Seat of Destruction. And even though it's been years since I've read a particular story, it still feels like a redundant junk to me to see a recap. While it may be necessary for the new readers that come along, personally, I can't stand them. Recaps, not new readers. (laughs) Just give the guest artist a pinup page or two for them to draw their favorite scenes from a given storyline. Yeah. It's strange for me reading in this order. So we're reading, you know, War of Frogs oh, and the right. Black Flame yeah. issues are all kind of intermingled. Sure. Breaking up the main story of the Black Flame into, to include the War on Frogs mini, while I understand that chronological, it fits there, it still feels out of place to me and breaks up the flow of the series. The only one that really feels like it belongs with the Black Flame may be Revival. I don't know. I kind of disagree with that. I really I really liked it, um, mm. reading it in this order. I thought it was kind of neat to end on, you see the Zinko guys getting the tadpoles, sure. and then we see the team doing all these war on frogs. I, it it might have just been the novelty, because I've never read it like right. that before. And for me, I was like, oh, yeah, I like the way this fits. I wonder, though, if yeah. he's just talking about, because the first time you read any of these stories, that's going to be the yeah. most memorable thing for you. So I think that he might just be talking about this is the way I remember reading it, kind of a deal, and yeah. I prefer that. So anyone's going to prefer, I think, kind of how they were first introduced to the stories. Yeah. This is my first time reading through it, so to me, it does make sense like this, but I think if I had read it in a different order, I would be 
Yeah. I was going to say, I just agree with Danielle because a lot of times it is the first time. Like, you know, they say like um, when you hear like a cover song, if you're a fan of the original song, you're always going to like the original version. Right. No matter how much you like the cover. Sure. Right. Um, But yeah, and this is also my first time reading through it. So it just, to me, it just seemed like it's supposed to go that way. Right. What's interesting is that I, I'm going to get a lot of fun for this, but I, I saw Terminator 2 Judgment Day before I saw the first Terminator movie. Ah, okay. I think the first Terminator movie fucking sucks. I, <laughs> I don't like it. I think it's dumb. But I think Terminator 2 Judgment Day is fucking awesome. It's like one of the greatest movies ever. Yeah. In well, my it opinion. Is, yeah. It's so It's uh, incredible. I could watch that movie twice in a row and still be ready to watch it again. And so that's the thing that like, but people are like, oh, but the first Terminator. No, I don't care. I don't care. That's how I originally saw the movie, so I I will always think that's, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. And I hear that people say it's a better movie in general, but I don't even think I need the first movie at all. Yeah. I don't need that movie to understand I, I this so, movie. Yeah. So it's one of those things that's like I can I can see his point of view of like this isn't how I originally read it, so that's not how I have come to understand the story. But this is how I've read the stories the first time going through, so this is probably how I will forever think remember it, this yeah. timeline so i think it's just how you're exposed to it maybe yeah. so i don't know oh i think also we've only had a couple weeks of guy davis but i think you quickly get attached to his artwork and his style and so like i felt like when we read black flame issue one and then we read all those different stories and then we came back to revival it's like oh yeah here's sure. guy davis again yeah and then when we got to this week's stuff it just feels very familiar and i don't know there's something about his style that i think fans really attach to and not that the other artists aren't enjoyable that we don't like their art it's just that it is like you said it's a familiar kind of consistent yeah style that we remember from the other stories he's kind of like the mignola of the bprd okay you know in terms of the yeah and you're always you're like oh cool a guest artist i like this art but when you go back to mignola you're like oh yeah so yeah i understand that point. but we'll also get to some really good pencils later that are equally as good as guy davis i think okay, yeah okay. just to pick up on that one point with the artist uh not to just because i really enjoyed all the art but sure. it did make the story kind of feel a little more broken up when you had the different artists mm-hmm. uh, yeah so uh, when we we're reading this story this past week and it was all the same and it's just it flowed you're saying when one artist will yeah. take uh, an entire run of a story of a storyline mm-hmm. that that feels more consistent to you yeah i agree with that oh, yeah. yeah i mean uh not and it's not that's to just any artist or anything it's just no absolutely uh, but like that, yeah. um you know uh, because they're all amazing artists but you can kind of decide to see the different it's like different chapters or sure. like yeah maybe you're watching like a tv show and like different directors sure yeah. Yeah. sure he goes on mainly because i feel like the black flame is one of the best bprd stories ever maybe the best it certainly sets the stage for everything to come more so than plague of frogs but to be fair, getting a chance to see Trempe and Severin work on the BPRD was awesome. Plus, it's kind of like looking back at a simpler time for the team. The third issue of War on Frog is the better one of the off issues in the BPRD series, in that it answers a question I had in terms of the frog monsters, or are they soulless monsters? I guess he's talking about those ghosts that we saw in that mm-hmm. last one. Right. Comics I suggest for the club that are outside the Mignolaverse are Metabarons, By Chance or By Providence, A God Somewhere moonshine and god country okay i haven't heard any of those titles except for god country i I have a couple issues with that yeah (laughs) i've never considered a playlist for bprd but i love listening to tom waits while i read hb comics especially rain dogs frank wilde's years mule variation and alice and i think that uh i might maybe jerry turnbull can find this but there was a 
there was a thread on that Mike Mignola's art Facebook page of what music would oh, Hellboy cool. listen to. Okay. And I think somebody said Tom Waits, and then Mignola chimed in and said, "Yes, you oh, know, well, it, it cool. would be something like this or something that's like." Awesome. Or I don't know. I don't. I, could, re- I, I could don't remember s- exactly. I could see Hellboy being a uh, Tom Waits fan. Mm-hmm. My, yeah. Uh, my brother is like a huge Tom Waits fan. I think it's uh, cool that Mignola would chime in and be like, "Yeah, yeah that's the music he would listen yeah. to." Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I'll have to find that thread. Okay, but uh, what music does, uh, I guess, Liz listen to now? What music oh, does yeah, uh, Abe listen that, to? Yeah. I know. Remember, Abe was listening to his boombox. I wonder what he was listening to on Well, that. I wonder if this is such a... <laughs> I see Abe as a classical I know. Guy. I was about to say, I hate to pigeonhole him, but he probably listens to like jazz and classical and stuff. Well, I think in the movie, they did have him listening to classical sure. music in, oh, the, in the Del Toro movie. What's... But the movies are also kind of a different canon. Oh, but then he listens to that song... Remember they sing that song in the second one that he's listening to, Can't Cry Without You or something mm. like that. You don't remember that part mm. where they're drinking beer? Oh, it's a great scene. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a very, okay. yeah. very comical no, scene. That one, yeah. I enjoy that part. I wonder if the BPRD members would swap mix CDs. <laughs> oh, I wonder what would be on the man. mix CDs for That'd the... That'd be really awesome. We should make like Abe's mix CD and like Liz's mix CD. You know, like Johan would be into all this like... Uh, <laughs> You know, German music that maybe the rest of the team hadn't heard sure. or stuff like that, and that would be really cool. Yeah, Super good. If maybe, we can get some German fans to put some Johan stuff together. Maybe they're all making Roger a playlist. <laughs> this is the music you got to listen to, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. That's a great idea. Like, there, there are individual suggestions for Roger to listen to music. Sure. I think that's a cool idea. That would be great. That would be great. Let's get some feedback on what those songs would be. I have a really exciting announcement, you guys. Sea Shanty Talk is back. All right. <laughs> Let's awesome. do it. Brockman on Instagram messaged me. He said, hey, guys, loving the podcast. I've been binging, and now I'm up to episode eight. Couple things. Favorite Sea Shanty is Drunken Sailor, which I know is a bit surface. But when I was five or so, my family went on a trip and ended up in a small fishing village with a small seafood restaurant. They let people sing for their supper, and I got up to the stage and belted out a terrible rendition of the aforementioned shanty <laughs> and was awarded with a giant plate of delicious mussels. Aw, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I'll have to put a little snippet of Drunken Sailor in here so that's we can the, all listen to it. What would you do with the Drunken Sailor Erlai in the morning? Is that what that is? Oh, okay. That's what it is. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. I'm I don't know. You if that's what that we'll that's we'll the all only, find out. That's the only Drunken Sailor I'm one sure that it I is. Know. I'm okay. sure it is. There may be several. We are talking about sea shanties. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? Heard I in the morning. Way hey, up she rises. Way hey, up she rises. Way hey, up she rises. Heard I in the morning. He also said, now "I want to make a sea shanty playlist." Yeah. <laughs> Um, to give to Roger. And he also shared this article that I, I posted, even though it has nothing to do. But it was really interesting. It was called How Sea Shanties Helped Me Weather the Storm of Depression. Uh, and it was about uh. this woman getting over depression through sea shanties. And she went to a sea shanty festival. And it was like young guys and old men and all this stuff. And they would like – and she said it was just – the way she describes it, it's very beautiful. That's and it's like, cool. wow, this experience of listening to these sea shanties. Anyway, it was a really cool article. Really I enjoyed cool. it. That's awesome. And he said, um, and finally, a very mild pushback. A few times you've referred to Baba Yaga as a villain, which I'm not sure it's that simple. She's surely an antagonist, but I think Manila does a great job of making her – 
and lots of other supernatural folkloric figures multifaceted. And if you look at some of the stories, even just slightly skewed, you see where they could be easily a hero in their own rights. I agree with that completely. Yeah. I think that that's definitely something I've I've tried to maintain mm-hmm. is that it's sort of black and Obviously, again, disclaimer, anything that has to do with Nazis, they're definitely bad guys. But when definitely. you're talking about supernatural witches and stuff, they're kind of on a different, a yeah. higher plane than that. They're, they're sort of a force of nature. They're a little bit outside of our understanding. So it's kind of a different, uh, you can't really necessarily judge them by your own temporal social mores they sort of they sort of exist outside of that they have kind of a they're a force of nature that's just they're just kind of a weird outside thing that Mm -hmm. can't really be understood through necessarily the same means and ways that you would understand your own relationship to other people and so that's something that i yeah all the shamans and witches and weird stuff they're doing horrible fucking shit the you know like whatever the thing about like uh, Hebel was saying what is she like eating children or something crazy something like that yeah they he finds the bones of bones children, of children or which like is that. like fucked up of course bones of children is not ever going to be something that you want to be saying it's not a phrase you want to be talking about but <laughs> yeah the you know she's it's it's just something else it's not she's just sort of a it's not necessarily bad or good when you talk about it on that level it's just sort of is yeah it's like typhoons are not bad or good they just are mm-hmm. it's a force of nature and it's like yeah it's really bad when you talk about holy shit entire families have lost their homes and their their lives even maybe and that's that is terrible that is horrible you know loss of life is never anything good but again like the typhoon doesn't care it's a typhoon so it's you know to us it's terrible but to the typhoon it's just right that's the way it is it's like she's living in a different plane of existence and her thing is yeah. completely different than ours. Like nobody cares about like yeah. you know, killing cockroaches or something well, like that. Well to us and, and to, now, yeah. Maybe it, maybe we shouldn't call them villains, maybe we should just refer to them as antagonists. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think unless, unless they're Nazis. Fuck those guys. Unless they're Nazis for sure. <laughs> and I really like this comment too, because as we get into some more of the Hellboy stuff. You know, we're going to see Baba Yaga again, and yeah. we're going to see witches again, and you do see that they have shades, yeah. you know, of... They're thinking agents, but again, yeah. they're operating on a different plane of existence, yeah. so... It's also like that one saying you always hear, it's like, um, nobody sees themselves as the bad guy. No, exactly, right. You know? and Every, that's everybody's thing. the hero in their own story. Sure. I really enjoy that, and I think it's easy to just group her into the villain category but like i said as we go along we're gonna see some right some really cool stuff from that character kane gray said on facebook party time i finally caught up time for you to increase the show to five days a week (laughs) (laughs) and he was also saying that he doesn't have any of the lobster johnson trades and they go for a lot online in fact um i was looking at this too i didn't realize how much these trades go for now because i think they're starting to get out of print but there's actually a comicsology sale on Lobster Johnson going on right now, and you can get a lot of that stuff for really cheap if you want it. He also said that he's tagging the individual stories in his trades. He's got all the trades. And so he's going through the trades and finding the stories that we talk about and tagging them in there, which I think is really neat. That's pretty awesome. Once that is complete, I can smash through your reading list up to where you are at the podcast. So yeah, thanks, Kane Gray. Good to hear from you. Matthew Boyne on Twitter said, On the topic of going to the library to find Mignola comics, I'm here to spread the good news about Hoopla. And we've heard about this before from another listener. It's a website and app that uses your library membership so you can check out movies, audiobooks, ebooks, and e-comics. They have a vast majority of the Mignolaverse on there, and I think they're only a few books short. Hellboy in Mexico is one of the few that they don't have. They have a ton of comics in general. 
All of Snyder's American Vampire series is on there too. Have you read uh, American Vampire? No, I've never read American Vampire, but I've always wanted to read it because I love Scott Snyder's work. Yeah, he's great. I would love to read that too. Nathaniel Green said, another great episode. You guys might even be improving because I love the soft open with the birthday wishes. Yeah, happy birthday, Aubrey. Did you like that? (laughs) I'd like to offer Aubrey my belated uh, well wishes and tell him that his regular sign-off is most likely my favorite part of the whole show. (laughs) So cheers. Awesome. Cheers. This particular reference to the write-in sign-off, I think, was Until Hecate Eats Pancakes Make My Mignola. I forgot who wrote that, but it, yeah, that was really good. Oh, it was like one of our fans, and I was just like, man, I love that. Yeah. You know. And he said it made an impression on him. Thanks again, guys. Keep them coming. Ross Radke over on Instagram, he uh, took the bait, and he gave us a version of Roger with a kilt. Did you see that? Um, yeah, it was awesome. It, it, well, he drew he drew this really cool sketch of Daimyo and Roger. And he used like all this photo reference of Daniel Day Kim and stuff like that to draw it. And so he posted that, but then he also posted like a little time lapse thing of him drawing it. And at one point, for like a second, <laughs> you see Roger with a kilt. He drew a kilt on there. That was great. Um, I and so I, I need to get a screen grab of that. I need to figure out a way to get I could get a screen grab of just that yeah. second or something well, the, like that. The time lapse was on Instagram, and you have to swipe over to see it. Yeah. So it's one of those. So uh, yeah, I thought that was a really cool little reference that he. That he put in there's like a little Easter egg. That's yeah, cool. go check him out on Instagram and Twitter. He's got some great artwork. And I wanted to remember to talk about the Discord. If you go to our Facebook page and you check out our links, you can see our links to the Discord. And there's been some good conversation going on. Would in that there. be in the About section? Yes, it is in the About section. And um, there's a good little discussion going on in there. Tomalee on the Discord thread he asked if it was still cool to discuss stories we've covered in past episodes. Yes, yeah. so please. If you, oh, of course. If you're just catching up now, here's the weird thing: because like, if you're on episode five and you comment on there, you won't hear the response until you get to whatever episode <laughs> nineteen or whatever next week. But still, it'll still be on there. Sure. And I think all those things are really important. We've got some. We got that one feedback about the on Conquer Worm, the numbers in the foreheads and all that stuff, right. and that was like way after the episode. But yeah, and any- the discussion is supposed to be beyond what you hear from us it's supposed to involve everyone at all times so you know whatever you want to discuss about hellboy or bprd like that's what we're trying to foster and encourage with this project so that's definitely absolutely encouraged yeah so go check out the discussion on that discord app thanks so much guardian ansel for putting that together some feedback on the dead ryan bolton he was the one that was talking about the fallen seraphim last week i totally agree that he didn't get a good look at it or was so deluded what he thought he saw was angelic right we talked a little bit about that some feedback on war on frogs jerry turnbull said the thought squares as roger descends into the frog monster's home are vital in this instance because they show that roger isn't mimicking daimyo He's absorbed his attributes. It's the content of the bubbles that are important, showing you how Roger now thinks and talks like a hard-bitten military man, using dialogue like big fellas, your idea of homeboys, hit the jackpot, etc. So unlike the Roger we've known up to this point. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I actually even went in there and, and, and replied to that because I do agree with all of that. Sincerely, I agree with that. You are absolutely 100% correct. It's just a personal... It's just a personal preference of mine. It's just a personal right. nitpick that I can't stand that. It's not uh It's not any it's not even supposed to be commentary <laughs> on the story itself. That's just my personal dislike of that particular um vehicle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but I I enjoyed that piece of feedback. It made me think sure, about it in a different absolutely. way. 
And he also said, a nice wee in-joke in Lost Lives. If you zoom in on Abe's camera, did you see this? That Abe's camera says, oh, yeah. Mignolta. Oh, yeah. Is the brand. <laughs> it's the brand of the camera, Mignolta. It's so a cute that was, Easter egg. Yeah, I like that. I like stuff like that. Kevin Alford said, Abe Sapien Lost Lives. I think that issue had the best comic art I've ever seen. Ryan Rollinson said, so I compared um, I compared Trempe and Davis doing the Frog Monsters and Rasputin versus the version from Seed of Destruction. And Ryan Rollinson said, the different artist interpretation of the same scene is always a favorite thing of mine, often giving us a literal new angle. It's so cool to see a continual focus on this. I like comparing those online in those weekly posts. And we had a good discussion on this on Instagram with our friend Comic Book Explorer. So Comic Book Explorer, he was like, are you sure that this is Trempe? Because it just looks like Guy Davis. And I was like, well, on the credits, it says Trempe. And then Scott Alley chimed in. (laughs) the editor of the issue i was really excited to hear from him and he said that um that issue was more guy davis than trempe he said that trempe did provide the pencils but guy davis really went in there and fleshed out those those uh drawings uh, a little bit more so it is you know it is trempe with davis but it's mostly guy that's davis that's really interesting yeah and i it was i was so excited to hear from scott alley that's i was great. like wow holy shit thank no, it's, but it's good to get information from a primary source on yeah. that if you have questions about it and i think that that's something that as many terrible things that the internet is responsible for at this point well not the internet but the people who are on the internet and making up the internet. The internet itself is just like we were talking about earlier, the fire or brick or typhoon. But as much horrible shit as the internet has allowed, it's also allowed some really wonderful stuff too where you can actually communicate with people who have firsthand yes, knowledge of exactly, primary yeah. sources of stuff like this if you have a question about it, which I think is so fucking cool. Yeah. So, but yeah. And it's also allows people to call me out on my irrational hatred <laughs> of very specific storytelling techniques. Yeah. <laughs> Man, Scott Alley, that's pretty awesome. I mean, yeah. It's really awesome, yeah. He's the one who's like putting the order of the uh, omnibuses together. Yes, yes, yeah, that's true. That is true. He kind of spearheads the, he oversees the whole thing, so that was really cool. I posted the comparison of Daimyo and Roger doing the same action where they're lighting up the cigar, <laughs> and Drew Campbell said, it's interesting that Roger has forearm hair. Yeah, he oh. had like air hair on his forearm. I thought that that was kind of interesting, too. Aww. And Sohan Sarag said, this was brilliant. I had a good chuckle seeing Roger trying to be Daimyo. Probably won't be chuckling for too long. Yeah. Horrible. Save that for later. Horrible. (laughs) So we're going to be discussing the Black Flame stories today. This will consist of the Black Flame issues two through six, which were published in October 2005 through January 2006. Story by Mignola and Arcudi. That's who you have to blame for what happens in this Ah. story. Art by Guy Davis, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. We open on a boardroom meeting at the Zinco Corporation. So this is the first time we've actually seen the company, I think. And this meeting is led by Mr. Pope, who appears to be the CEO or something. Whomst, whomst are we sending to Houston H-Town? Oh, that's right. H-Town gets a plug right here. Although, you know, these people are definitely Nazis, so Alex and Barry can fuck off out of here. They can <laughs> stay where they are. Nazis don't come to Houston. We don't, we don't want them. After the meeting is dismissed, the accountant, Bessemer, tries to talk to Mr. Pope about the research and development budget. It's ballooning out of control. The company is also selling off its assets. Mr. Pope dismisses Bessemer, telling her, you're just going to have to trust my vision for our future. 
Pope walks over to a door and he uses a thumbprint to open up to find this room. And Gross. what do we find out about this guy? Gross. He's a fucking, he's a Nazi. fucking Nazi. Not only is he a Nazi, he's like got all he's like the a super Nazi. <laughs> he's he's got like all this memorabilia it's in there. Gross. I want to point out a couple little Easter eggs. We see that he's got the Project Ragnarok symbol. We see the Steel Hawk. I don't know if you remember in yeah. that file folder it said the Steel Hawk, and here you see like the hat and the little thing around his neck or whatever the neck brace thing mm. what's interesting is there's kind of a sword it's like half of a sword it's got the the end of it broken off it's got the weird crown thing that you see above yeah. the dragon and then it's got like tentacles coming out oh yeah that's crazy tentacles coming out of there and it looks like um that little thing in the jar is that same thing that daimyo right um found weird. that little monkey snow monkey thing with the no mask sure and then it even looks like, tell me if I'm wrong, but is that the, on, on its side, is that Herman von Klemp's head? I oh thought it was. Oh it is. Yeah, it looks like the head of Herman von Klemp. Uh-huh. And then there's also a corpse in a, in like some case wearing a uniform. Horrible. Is that the, uh, the guy that Roger and um, Hellboy met, that that Nazi that- From Conqueror Worm? Yeah. I don't know. The I, time traveling one? I, I I have a theory on who this character is, but we'll we'll talk about it and we'll talk right. about it a little bit later in the story. Okay. Mr. Pope uses the intercom to call Marston, the head of research and development, and we see that they are experimenting with the frogs. They've isolated the language centers in their brain now, and they've already got two responding to verbal cues. This is this is something I just want to touch on very briefly. Yeah, sure. And forgive me cuz it's kind of a weird tangent and has almost nothing to do with the story <laughs> at all. But uh the, the I kind of seized on this cuz I've, you know, I've I think about this kind of thing a lot. It says we've isolated the language centers in their brains. And something interesting about that is uh, I just want to go into something here in past research. Uh, findings about this sort of thing were based on observing the loss of various abilities that would occur when someone's cerebral cortex was damaged or something like that. And then advancements in medical imaging has kind of opened this up a little bit more, and it's been discovered that there's actually a whole series of various quote-unquote areas of the brain that are involved in speech processing. And, of course, it's much more complicated than 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 that um this part like it's this part here is for speech this chunk here is for smelling it's actually a series of interconnected systems like the body itself or even the earth you know can be analogous to that and um taking that a little bit further into the realm of this has not really been confirmed by the broad scientific community at large or anything this is just sort of something that is uh, speculation, I guess, at this point, but it's something that I find extremely interesting. You may or may not find it in- as interesting <laughs> as I do. In the 1940s, it was generally believed that memories, like each specific memory, had a location somewhere in your brain cells, right? Like the memory of your grandma that one day when you went to visit a farm or that day when you got married, you know, and so memory had like a specific location somewhere in your brain cells, right? And in the 60s, a guy named uh, Carl Prebrum was researching memories and their connection to the brain. He started studying holograms. And there's a whole lot to this. I won't waste a lot of time explaining how holograms work. It has to do with interference patterns. So basically, if a piece of holographic film containing an image is cut in half and illuminated by a laser, each half will still contain the entire image. So unlike a normal piece of film, each fragment of a piece of holographic film contains all the information recorded in the whole. And this kind of goes on into various things like Fourier transforms, 
a lot of different mathematics and you can look at the cosmos as a hologram and it has to do a lot with enfoldment and various things like that and so there's just like little where does this wave-like phenomenon come from in the brain you know and well you can think about maybe how neurons possess branches like little trees and when electrical messages reach the end of these branches it radiates outward like ripples in a pond like so that could be responsible perhaps for the wave-like phenomenon nobody really knows it's just speculation it's that kind of thing and so it's kind of almost like a little brain teaser when you think about consciousness and how consciousness arises well it could be holographic who knows and so you i'm not saying that that is fact i'm saying that that is something that people have brought up in the past that may or may not be relevant to your interests it's definitely relevant to mine <laughs> just putting it out there and you can you know you can find out more about this sort of stuff if you're interested i'll you know i can send you like references yeah that was a good that was a good little book report you did there yeah anyway <laughs> it has nothing to do with the plot of the story i just thought it was interesting uh, so. i like how you picked up on one thing and went i kind of went down, down the rabbit there. hole that, yeah, was, I really that was actually did. pretty awesome well no and this is stuff that i've been thinking about for years and so when i see it brought up i'm like actually i'm very adam ruins everything about it but he actually has concrete sources for his stuff, whereas this is all just sort of, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I, th- I find it to be interesting ideas. Right. And so, you know, you never know. I, I'm also obsessed with, like, fractals and stuff. So, you know, don't get me started, honestly. <laughs> so as uh, as Marsden talks to Mr. Pope, he tells him, I think we're going to need you down here sooner than planned, sir. Creepy. Back at the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, Abe and Kate talk. Looks like he's got a new shirt. I was going to say, yeah, it looks like he swapped out his his shirt, but um, I'm not liking this one much better. Oh, man. I like when he's typing, it just says, click a clack a click. (laughs) And he kind of spaces out a little bit. And Kate says, this is ridiculous. And I think like we're all feeling this way. I think she's speaking for herself, but I think she's also speaking for the readers. Yes. That click a clack a click also kind of punctuates that a little bit to me. That's good. And you know, Kate Kate is a really great boss. Yeah. She seems sincerely, she's not worried about like, uh, you know, your progress uh, report says that your efficiency as an employee is down (laughs) by 2%. So no, she's like sincerely concerned about him. So she's she's a great boss, but she's a great friend. She's really trying to make the decisions that are best for Abe. And I think that's cool. And Kate tells Abe that he's a field agent. He keeps losing focus as a coordinator. And Abe says it would be worse if he lost focus in the field. That wouldn't happen, Kate says. Hellboy's gone, and we both know you'd be a great asset to the task force. I'm going to say I have, I have to agree with Kate there because I think he's losing focus because he's, you know, he's this is not what he's supposed to be doing. He's right. supposed to be in the field agent. When he's a field agent, he's focused. But this, he's, his mind is being able to wander and yeah. think right. about all that other stuff. Well, and also, he... He's made this decision out of fear. Yeah. And when yeah. you make decisions out of fear, it's difficult not to. Of course, everyone struggles with that and grapples with that. But he's got a fear and an anxiety about being in the field. And so he's relegated himself to this environment where he's not at his best. And so I think that that, yeah, absolutely has something to do with that. Kate tells Abe, ever since we got back from Rhode Island, if you won't talk to me, the Bureau has counselors. Really good boss. Yeah. And as they look at each other, Johan walks in, and Abe goes off to check the photos. Abe goes to his room, and we see he has framed Edith Howard's picture, and he solemnly looks at it. And I'm like, Abe, what are you doing? Yeah, While man. I'm looking, I'm like, what are you doing, he's, man? He's also set up the desk. Yeah, he's got chair, like a the Victorian he... chair and everything. I yeah. like the color palette here. It's shifting away from the warmth of previous incarnations of his room from the old 
other facility and to this oh, very yeah. cold, bare, yeah. dark environment. And it's very interesting Good choices. Point. Good yeah. job, Dave Stewart there. Sure. Back at the Zenko R&D department, we see the Zenko scientists in protective suits and we see the frogs in harnesses with, um, mm. yeah, they have harnesses and muzzles. The scientists marvel that in only four months, the frogs are using language spontaneously. If I could publish, Marsden said, and the frog is saying, no home here. So these workers here, right here in the bottom corner? I think so, yeah. Is that is that what I think it is? Yes, yes. And they're working on a suit down there in the corner. There's a lot of little details in the um, in this in this scene. I really love how Guy Davis does this. Yeah. But you can't publish. Mr. Pope interrupts, obviously. Oh, no, obviously not, Mr. Pope. I'm just very excited, sir, Marsden says. He called Mr. Pope down to see what's happened in the frog containment. One of them managed to smuggle in a sharp object the night before, and this morning they found the walls all filled with the frog language. What do you think about that? Typical frog behavior. <laughs> it's super creepy, but yeah. I like it yeah. a lot. I think it's great. Marsden says the glyphs match the one they've seen in pictures of the nest, and these are the same nests that the BPRD has been taking out in their War on Frogs. I kind of like how we're seeing two different sides of it, too. Yeah. They're both kind of discovering these things at the same time. Marsden says the frogs know their language without being exposed to it. It's genetically programmed onto them. Reality is always bigger than any of us is willing to believe, Pope says. Marsden, try not to worry about it. That is such a great quote. And I know it's coming from a horrible Nazi, but I really like that quote a lot. I've, I kind of seized on that a little earlier. Yeah. About how reality is bigger than we assume. It's it's a lot stranger than we can possibly comprehend. And I think right. that's I think that's really, I find that fascinating. And I, I wouldn't necessarily go about it the way that they're doing it. <laughs> I think there are probably better ways to find that out. But I like how Pope is, he's a weird character because, I mean, obviously he's horrible. Sure. But on the surface, he's kind of like, you could see how he's just like a regular person too. There's some weird, dumb comedy to him, you know yeah. what I mean, where he's just like... Well, it's the hubris. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. It, that makes it so... It's a good story because of that. I mean, he's like the CEO of a company, so there he's got already got that ego. Right. He's a fucking weenie. The important thing is that it makes our mission that much easier, and Pope approaches a frog in the harness. Mr. Pope, I wish you wouldn't allow this creature out like that. Oh, Marsden, Mr. Pope says, the whole idea behind this process is to acclimate them to me. Mr. Pope reaches in his jacket pocket. Mouse, the frog says. Aww. That's right, Timon, a mouse. Very good. Mr. Pope pulls out the dead mouse and the frog picks it up with his tongue. What do you think about I think that? That's so cute and sweet. I honestly, I, I'm so conflicted because these frog mo- I feel like they're just little yeah. guys. They're cute little guys. The way that they're portrayed in the story is really interesting, too. This one's a little yeah. mouse snack. You know, aw, it's precious. Pope. It reminded me of, I mean, uh, do you remember that movie, uh, TV movie from the 80s, V? Yeah, It, yeah. it kind of reminded me of the, the aliens ate the lizards. I don't know why. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The alien lizards ate the mouse. Not right, the, the right. The lizards. He's just a cute little guy looking for a snack. It's really precious. And he's like, keeps saying, I, you know, no home here, no here. It's, right. it's weird here. That's what the frogs are saying. Yeah, yeah. they're like that. It's they're not. It's not place. right. It's yeah. not right, and all this stuff. I kind of feel really bad for these little mm-hmm. frog guys. They seem to be caught in the middle. They seem to be kind of just. I don't know. Well, I mean, you see that their natural instinct is to build these nests, write all these carvings, make these temples, these like yeah. um, gross 
body relics or right. whatever and that's what they're programmed to do so being in this lab is like they're like no this is not what we're supposed this to do weird yeah well they just seem like they seem like bees or something they yeah. want to be doing what they want to be doing and when they can't do that that's not good for them but like do they again it's back to that thing of they're not good or bad they're just sort of neutral they just exist and they exist in a world where it's not really built for them to exist right so it's sort of i kind of feel bad for them yeah i guess <laughs> There, there's one scene where I feel very sympathetic about one of these frogs, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Pope tells Marsden that they've wired their brains and their nervous systems to pacify them. And so that's what all that harness is. That's It's going down their back. Marsden says the ultimate power will be with the armor, and we see the scientists are building the black armor suit. Pope approaches another frog. No home here. No here, the frog says. No, not here, but somewhere, Mr. Pope tells it and soon. Out in the western British Columbia, in a snowy clearing, we see Roger leading a team of agents and Johan chasing and shooting frogs. Roger stops the team before the frogs try and lure them into a trap, and so there's a pretty cool moment where Roger's like, shut up and watch, and they kind of see that all these frogs are hiding, waiting to lead them down there. And so they shoot all the frogs. Let's get those launchers hot, because if this is the best these frogs can do, this war is all but over. And the art is so awesome. I just love... uh, the way Guy Davis draws these frogs and Roger looks so cool and all the flying body parts. It's its just a really uh, good piece of art. I also like how Roger, I like Roger's, um, feels like he has confidence in himself now. Yeah. Sure. Back at the camp, we see that there's more to this mission. Daimyo leads a team in an old sawmill and the agent brags on Roger. And Daimyo's proud of Roger. Geez, who the hell needs me anymore, he says as he, as he touches Roger's shoulders. At night, we see a Zinko van reverse towards an opening of a mine shaft. Marsden is driving, and he tells Mr. Pope that if there are any more glitches, the armor will protect you until our men can get you out. There will be no glitches, Pope says. You're almost funny, Marsden. In all the years you've been with me, you worked the hardest and had the least faith. Just open the back doors. Marsden does, and we see the Zinko frogs jump out of the van and into the hole. And this is that moment I was talking yeah. about. One of the frogs like turns around and looks back at yeah. Pope, and he's like, "And he's like, it's all right, go on." But there's that little yeah. that little moment is very affecting. The little yeah. moment of doubt is very. I agree. It's it's really sweet, and you really feel so much empathy for this for this yeah. creature, this little frog guy. And in 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 my mind, like he's almost looking like mouse. Yeah. You get a mouse? Yeah. Like it's you know, and he just they're just little frog dudes, man. They're just doing their thing and they get caught up in this whole weird Nazi plot where they get horrible fucking electronics stuck in their brains and right. they get used for a a weird purpose and it's just very strange. I don't know. And I really like this point of view here because we're kind of seeing it we see that it's from this black armor's point of view, and these frogs are speaking this language as the black armor gets closer and closer. It's very cool. You can tell that this the lettering is all hand. Yeah, here I love it. Has the language ever been like translated? You know, like people translate all sorts of like um, made up languages. Like I don't know Klingon. I don't know the Navi from Avatar and all that. So I wonder. Yeah. Has anybody translated this? I don't I mean, know. Yeah, listeners, let us know. I, I haven't heard of, I haven't seen or heard of that happening. Like, uh, you know that language is in Futurama. People, you know, they figured that one out. Interesting. I'd be curious. I yeah. wonder if it's a one-to-one correlation or if it's, I don't know. The Zinkle frogs talk to a group of regular frogs. Are you telling them? Are you, Pope asks? Their master has come, and they will need to know that. They need to know who I am, and we reveal that he's the Black Flame. The frogs gather around him and they raise their arms to him. And this uh, kind of reminds me of when they were around that cocoon 
Right. You know, uh, that we saw in the War of Frogs story with Johan last week. I'm so conflicted because the art here looks so cool. Yeah. It looks really cool. I really love like, this. This oh, guy's yeah. a fucking Nazi. I don't want to be like, oh, cool. You know what I mean? You can so appreciate the art. Even the art is great. Nazi. The, yeah, the art is great. But and it's very effective. It's very effective storytelling. It's very yeah. imposing and very, um, I don't know. It's very imposing. It's it, it's great the way that's set up. And again, the, the pacing as he approaches, you see his point of view and then it reveals him in the armor. It looks really cool. In Handelson, Montana, we see a fire department putting out a fire. Liz talks to Johan and says the frogs are getting bolder. They built a nest in an empty storefront. And so I thought this was kind of funny because she says, <laughs> you know, they built a nest in an empty storefront and we see like the whole building is destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like just the whole thing is and, leveled. And Johan's personality I love too because he's so polite. The Like he... <laughs> He says, it's unfortunate how we lost the rune carvings in the fire before I took the photos. <laughs> so the implication here being that Liz torched the fucking building yeah. before he could even come in and do his job. So it's very, but he doesn't say that. He's like, hey, uh, the fuck's the matter with right, you? He just right. goes, you know what's really unfortunate <laughs> that the fire did this? It's very, I, I found that very interesting. I like I like how, how they're writing his character. Yeah. It's very interesting. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, the interaction is, was just wonderful. Yeah. Sorry, Johan, Liz says, I know this town's half abandoned, but we still had to work fast. So they had already got people out of there, too. You know, I mean, I think she's just making excuses here. Yeah. If we'd left it to Roger and his bunch, people would have seen more than they should. So maybe that maybe that's her excuse is that she I've, doesn't want people to see the frogs. I think it's ridiculous. She just doesn't want to deal with it. And yeah. she's 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 an impulsive person. She wouldn't. She wants to burn it to the ground. She's impulsive. Yeah. And she lights the cigarette up with her finger. Johan says that Roger is actually an excellent soldier and an excellent leader. And is that really what's best for him, Liz asks? And recall their conversation in Black Flame Issue 1 where they kind of talked about, what do you sure. think about all this that's happening with Roger? As yeah. an off-topic aside, I really want to know the kind of brushes he's using in Photoshop, the colorist here. Because these are excellent yeah little, the brush strokes they're probably custom the textures sure of them of course but yeah i would i would love to oh i'd love to get my hands on those because it's really looks like a painting yeah it's really impressive the technique here anyway sorry liz is worried about the impression that daimyo leaves on roger she thinks it's easy for roger to confuse what he does with who he is and she thinks there's more to Roger than just killing bad guys. Or there should be. Johan tells Liz that she and Roger share the spark of life, but that doesn't mean she knows him. And Liz is taken aback by this. And Johan says how happy Roger is and that Liz should be his friend, not his guardian. Mm. And Liz notices that her cigarette has gone out and she just throws it to the ground and walks away. An old woman approaches. Liz tells her that she can't be there, and the woman says she just wanted to tell her how grateful we are for all your hard work. I was going to say, it's almost like the old woman appears. <laughs> yeah, she does, and she wants to give her this, and she hands her this white flower. Liz says it's beautiful. Johan asks Liz who that is, and Liz faints, the flower in her hand. Chapter two, so I love this cover. This is one of my yeah, all-time favorite cool. covers. I had it as my desktop background for years, but I got tired of people going, is that Ghost Rider? Uh -huh. um, but I really like, um, I just really like the way Mignola draws the black flame. He's such a, he's a terrible character. He's a terrible person, but the character design is so fucking the awesome. The character design yeah. is very fucking cool. Very, so metal. And I really like this. Um, I never noticed this detail until reading it collected like this, that um, 
you know, Liz had the flower in her hand, and then here on the next thing, it focuses on her hand, and she, like, closes her hand, you know, like the flower's not there. Yeah. You know, I just really like that little continuity beat. Like, if it was a movie or a TV show, you could definitely see that transition. Liz is in another realm or another place. She sits in a golden chair across from a sinister-looking figure, a bowl of fire on a table in front of him. I know what you're thinking, Miss Sherman, the man says. You and your friends are finding the nest of the so-called frogs. You've killed many of them. So you think that things are not so bad after all, but they are bad. They are so much worse than you can imagine. Just really quickly here, um, this guy, uh, he's got his his fingertips here. It reminds me of the metal fingertip nail jewelry from videos I've seen of traditional Thai dance. Ah. Um, and so I kind of looked it up. I, I, I have to admit, I really don't know much about it other than I think it is very beautiful and looks awesome. But specifically, I, fa- I, I, this is from Wikipedia, so all the nuance is going to be lost because I am a stupid American. But specifically, apparently, the Fawn Lep fingernail dancing. I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that huh. correctly, but there are different, obviously, types of dance in any culture. And so this is something, I guess, called Fawn Lep. I'm not sure. But the dancers wear these long metal fingernails, and it's really pretty. You can probably find a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube and okay. check that out. But Thank yeah, you for that detail. Interesting. And I was wondering about that too, because it looks like is he writing on this little scroll with the with his fingertip? I guess that you could conceivably do that. I I thought that's what he was doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it. I guess that's sort of a stand-in for some sort of magical, shamanistic type of a ritual, maybe that he's got this long thing here. And anyway, what are you talking about, Liz? Ass. The man puts the scroll in the fire, and it starts to burn, filling the room with smoke. Liz coughs as the smoke engulfs all. And then again, I like this transition again. Yeah. It's just very cinematic well, that she's coughing in this vision yeah. with all the smoke, and then she wakes up coughing. The art here is so good, too, because it really, really just the the movement and the dynamic aspect of it is just so fluid. And you can really right. tell that she's fucking coughing her guts out here. And then and it's like, you know, all the um, just it's just really nice. It looks it looks great. Yeah, Liz wakes up in the hospital at the BPRD, we assume, and Abe is nearby uh, with his shirt again. And it made me think of almost Colossus. You know, he stayed by her bedside the entire time. And so here he is again doing the same thing. And Liz coughs up a small ball of paper. Back at the Zinco Corporation... This is one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. I fucking love this scene. It's so funny it's so to me. so fucking funny. We're in the Zinko boardroom and all the other board meeting people are there <laughs> for the meeting. And they're like, oh, Mr. Pope's not. He- is he going to be there? And the the table has this like crazy design carved into it. <laughs> and all the employees are puzzled. <laughs> Bessemer, the accountant, talks to this other guy. And she says she's uncomfortable with the turn Zinko has made under Pope. Uncomfortable. What a gift for understatement you have, Bessemer. Where I come from, we call a spade a spade. And as spades go, Pope is downright balmy. There's balmy again, again, yeah. yeah. (laughs) They hear this sound, and they see this blue light, and then they turn around, and he just walks in in the black It's so good. (laughs) It's so fucking funny. The timing here is so fucking funny. And I just, yes, the timing as all the little flames go out. I love the sound effects there and everything. And then he just takes off the helmet and he just looks at him and he's like, you have all been fired. It's so great. And a little beat there. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think he was waiting behind that there. door waiting for his moment? I was like, I'm going to wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Yes, there it is <laughs> yes no you're absolutely right he's the type of person that would do something like that a fucking nerd pope tells bessemer that he and marsden own more than 51 percent of the company 
They will all see the documentation at their desks. He tells them they have three hours to collect their severance pay and vacate the building. And so all the members leave. He uses his thumbprint to open the door again, and three of the Zinko frogs come in with a regular frog. Sir, is this really necessary, Marsden asks. You make it sound as if you don't want to do it, Marsden, Pope says, and he puts the helmet on. And he starts kind of chanting this frog language. And so this is that same language. We've seen this over and over since, um, you know, since the Seat of Destruction. Right. We, we've been seeing this stuff. He starts speaking the frog language and the Zinko frogs let out their tentacle tongues. And the middle frog, he kind of gets caught up in this ceremony, right? Like yeah. they're kind of doing something. Pope is making them do something. And it's just really weird. This middle frog, um, he's just a regular frog. And this black flame starts to come out of his mouth. Yeah. And I love the way Guy Davis draws the yeah. black flame. It's super creepy. And it's also the the way that Dave Stewart is coloring it too, but it's just like such an interesting idea, a black flame. Like, I don't yeah. know, It's it, that's not something I think that well, I've Well, and it's really... jet black. There's no yeah. nuance yeah. to it. It's, there's no different varying degrees of gray or shade. It's just literally like a void, Yeah, which I think is really effective. And like you said, I actually do think that this is more the colorist doing mm-hmm. this than right. anything else probably but it's yeah and, and they make a great team they make a fantastic team they do team. yeah and this black flame kind of drains the frog he kind of his body gets all withered and it lights up the black flame costume and then we just see the corpse of the withered frog so it like took his life force or something like that right yes it made me feel sad yeah again i think that these little frog guys are just kind of caught up in whatever weird cosmic shit's going on right and marsden looks on apprehensively one of the things that i saw that was really cool in the sketchbook is that the black flames are also supposed to kind of look like tentacles too right yeah Mm. and you can kind of see that here yeah yeah back at the bprd a scientist examines the paper that liz coughed up it appears to be part of a scroll like the one that that guy was burning the scientists call over Professor O'Donnell, Professor O'Donnell. to look. Here we see Professor O'Donnell again. I fucking again. love this guy. He's great. I have a very specific fondness for this dude in my yes. heart. Seriously. He's great. It's I, a specific He's kind a very of, lovable character. Yes. And I, he comes over all calm. He's like, hmm, a sure hand. This is a scholar's writing, if I had to guess. <laughs> Katha him? Right? He just freaks out. Where did you get this? And Liz said she coughed it up after a dream. What kind of dream? Yeah, what kind of a dream? I and, love him so much. And yeah. I honestly, like, this is my future. I'm going to be an old lady <laughs> screaming about holographic fucking brains and shit. And Liz says, I don't know. It was a, it was strange. There was a man and he told me things are worse than I can imagine. Something like that. He's probably right, O'Donnell says. You know what this is? This Kathahem? Saduhem was the first. He brought the plague of frogs just as it was written. But the frogs will bring Kathahem, and Kathahem shall dwarf Saduhem. He will be as big as a mountain, and when he comes, people won't just die. The world will start to change. Shit. (laughs) Well, if we kill all the frogs, Liz says, if, listen to yourself, if, 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 and I like how his eyes are going, like, (laughs) they they just do a good job. And (laughs) this one agent in the back, he immediately starts walking up. He's like, all right. Because you kind of see him in this panel, and then in this next one, he's taking yeah. O'Donnell. So it just makes me, he's they like, have these wranglers yeah. with him all the time. He's got, he's got handlers. He's and... like crumpled up tie. <laughs> you know, and it's very, <laughs> it's kind of a trope now, but I, I always, that's my favorite, one of my favorite kind of tropes, one yeah. of my favorite vehicles no, in any movie great. or book is like the rumpled up scientist <laughs> with the papers flying everywhere that nobody listens to. And then, of course, 
He's the one fucking guy you need to be listening to. No one's listening to the scientists yelling about all this shit, but like that's the guy you need to be paying attention to. And I have a very specific fondness in my heart for this guy yelling right. about all this crazy cosmological bullshit. And then it turns out, actually, you need to listen to him. Right. Uh, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, don't lead him away. I want to hear what he has to say. I know, right? <laughs> well, he, well, he even he dismisses himself kind of. He says, I need to lie down. I will talk to you later. Well, he might be so used and to people leading him know, away right? when he gets worked up. And the scientist goes, sorry, he's not adapting to the new headquarters too well. <laughs> well, it's almost, it's almost, again, it's almost like he's an incarnation of maybe a shamanistic entity that he knows. He knows about this stuff. Right. But he's so weird and seemingly crazy to everyone else because he's just going on about all this stuff. And it's like, think about it. If there was someone in your life who was going on about like, you know, UFOs and all this stuff, but you'd be like, okay, right. kind of dismiss them. I love you, but you know, shut up. But really, like when you get down to it and you can see the connections to all this stuff, it's hard to not want to tell everybody about it and right. be yeah. alarmed. And so it's just a very I like that guy. He's the only one who knows what all this truly means. Absolutely, too, yeah. Know? But of course, would you listen to that guy? Right. If you know, if 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 you were Liz or Abe or anything, you'd be like, okay, all right, guy. But at the weirder that things get, it seems like okay, things are actually very fucking strange. We've seen enough to know that this right. guy is probably telling the truth as he knows it. Let's listen to him. But of course, everyone just sort of dismisses him. It's very weird. Well, she, the one scientist did go on to say that uh, he. Before he worked there, he was a curator of rare books right, um, and yeah. manuscripts. So maybe it is like maybe he really is just not adjusting to the place very well because it's like a big open sterile. Although, but place. if you think about it, if he's and, the curator of Columbia University's rare book and manuscript library, he has seen some shit. Right. Yeah. And I, that's when Liz yeah. goes. She takes her cue to fucking go find Daimyo because right. it's like maybe there is something to what this guy is saying because if he. If he's the curator of this, you know, giant, which, by the way, shout out to Houston's, I want to say, uh, shout out to Houston's Print Museum, because there is a rare book manuscript collection there that you should oh, check out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, here. there it's is. It's very really cool, the Print cool, Museum. Which I will spend all my time in places like that. It's amazing. Yeah, but you're right. As the as Abe and the scientists talk about Abe possibly returning to the field, Liz has this thought, and she kind of just runs off. Abe calls after her, and Liz runs to Daimyo's room and bursts in. And she catches Daimyo in this weird thing. I, I what is this? Th it's cup therapy. Cup, cup therapy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I I should have done a. Dang it! I didn't know what it's that not, was, so I didn't nothing, do yeah, a, a friend of mine um, on Instagram. I've seen her like do that. I think. Oh um, really? <laughs> so the, it it looks like there's a bowl of fire underneath Daimyo. There's also incense burning all over the place, and this cup therapy going on. Remember that he told the medic in War on Frogs that he has his own guy for stuff like this. Right. And so this is what he was yeah. talking about. And Liz shuts the door. And I just want to say I love the motion in this panel as she pulls back the door. You know, I just yeah. really like the way that he does that. And she calls him captain, too. She's kind of been disrespectful to him. But in this moment, since she's so desperate, yeah. she's like, I'm sorry, captain, but I need to see you right away. And so Liz desperately asks for Roger. She says she needs to know where he is right now. Liz can't reach him on his cell, and she thinks that he's in trouble. Daimyo says that they can try his unit's radio. Well, let's at least try, Liz says. I've got the feeling something's not right. We cut to Roger on his mission at the steelworks. He fires at frogs, looking pretty badass, and we see one of the agents tries unsuccessfully to reach the bureau. There's some really good action here. I just love when all the frogs are, like, flying apart and all that stuff. It's just really... I just like that. Roger lights up a cigar. 
Hearing that they have total containment, no frogs made it out of the area. Roger tells the agents not to call him sir. I'm not even in the armed forces, he says. I like that little line. Roger tells the agent to prepare to head out and see where we're off to next. And there's this other action beat as Roger's talking. This frog sneaks up from behind and he shoots it in midair. One of the agents hoped that they get called back to the base, but Roger says that doesn't make sense. It's not like these bastards ever take vacations. One of the agents, Helton, approaches and says the radio's dead. Our phones don't work. I can't reach anybody. I don't know what's wrong. Sunspots, El Nino, who knows? Just go outside and try again, Roger says. You'll get through eventually. He won't, a voice says. And we see the black flame standing across the room. That panel is so fucking alarming. Yeah, I I really um, am. I'm glad you brought that up. I was listening to this interview with John Arcudi. And he actually talked about this, and he said that he thought it was much more scary to just pull way, way back. Very scary. You know, instead of kind of zooming in on him, just to pull way, way back. And so it's like Roger's there fighting these frogs, and then all of a sudden he sees this strange-looking, scary whatever. It's extremely effective. Yeah. 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 We get this large close-up of Roger's face. Suddenly a huge explosion frying the agents outside and the entire steel mill. Inside, the wreckage shows the BPRD agent skeletons and the broken torso of Roger the homunculus. We zoom in on his porthole. Okay, I was not expecting this. Yeah. I had no idea, and this was... Damn it. <laughs> well, it, it is devastating. It really I... was, yeah. And yeah. I was reading this... At, at this point, I was already reading the issues, so I was reading this month by month. So you get to this and you're just like, what the fuck? Like, it's not, there's no, yeah. I'm going to turn the page and find out what happens next. You're just like left with this and you're just like, oh my God, yeah. you know? You For re- you, reading it like that, it had to be very, And And you yeah. also realize that he's, that he is this, he's made out of mud. Like, he's like a statue. You know what I mean? And so all that's left is this like bulk of him. Anyway. For me, this was actually spoiled numerous times. Yeah. This has been spoiled so many times for me that I, I knew it was going to happen. But of course, you know, that's... The loss of that character is um, not great. Yeah, and they've really done a good job of getting us nice and attached to him sure. and very sympathetic about him. And, oh, I like Roger. He's funny. He's the comic relief. And, you know, to see him kind of take this turn um, being a badass, which like which was another development of his character. Yeah. And then, yeah. Losing losing Roger, though, is a, it's a very effective storytelling uh, beat because if, if we can lose Roger, then... You know, who, exactly, yeah. and that's going to play into this next issue. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just like I wasn't expecting it because you know, I turned the page and all of a sudden, oh, oh, shit. Well, yeah. things are uh, serious now. It's very, you, you know, know the, the stakes are high. Um, but yeah, it's just like you know, that's how you know, just how death is. It just like it just happens. Yeah, you know, it, there's no warning. It just, yeah, yeah. And um, I think even when we were discussing the War on Frogs episodes last week. You, Danielle, even said that it was definitely ramping up to something. Yeah. You know, you could feel that this war on frogs, all these different stories were building to some big thing. Well, you know, if you if you ever want to raise the stakes, just kill off a very lovable character. Right. I mean, you know. Chapter three at the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, the corpses of the agents who were with Roger are unloaded. Now, for me, I I actually I I make little tiny very short notes uh-huh. in my notebook as I'm reading just to go back and reference so I can talk about whatever the subject is that I'm talking about. And I wrote here, 
kind of it's kind of a long sentence as far as my notes go. They didn't even put him in a bag. Yeah. And I made, so I made a little note of this as I was reading and then of course a few pages later we see that Johan right. brings this up as well. So I was like, "Oh, so that's how invested in the story you become with yeah. these artists and these writers coming together to tell the story. That's how invested is that I <laughs> I actually managed to anticipate Something that another character right. brings up. Yeah, so sure. I, that's a credit to the storytellers in this case, I think. So, yeah, I was outraged. Yeah, by they that just pile detail. his torso on yeah. top of the other body bags. And I think that the 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 effectiveness is, it, it speaks for itself. If you're fucking outraged over reading a book or a comic or something like that, well, it's not a comic. I guess it's a graphic novel. Comic implies that it would be funny, but it's a. If you're if you're outraged by a story that right. you're reading, I think that they've they've done their job well. And then we just get these two pages of wordless of wordless panels with Liz. What do you guys think of this scene? The art is fantastic oh. storytelling, you, really fantastic. You can definitely feel her loss in the art. And they don't shy away from. I've I've brought this up before, but for some fucking reason, I don't know what it is. There are a lot of artists that refuse to give women expressions. Right. In not just not just art in comics, but like there was recently, I don't know if you guys caught any of this in the um, the Captain Marvel movie trailer. There were dudes online complaining that she wasn't smiling or something. Oh and I'm right, like, yeah. These are very dramatic scenes. Why would she be grinning like an idiot? Like this, I don't understand why. <laughs> That's it's not appropriate for her to be smiling in any of these scenes. She's like climbing a rope and she's like fighting bad guys like why would she be just grinning like <laughs> right. a moron and i think that that's but that's something that guys don't think about like she is an object that right. is there to decorate the landscape and here that's definitely not the case liz is a very important character with very important reasons for the thing that she does with very important emotions and they're telling a fucking story and i know that a lot of people who are reading the story are going to take that for granted I just want to point out, I never take that for granted. I think that this is incredible. She is allowed to have extreme emotions. She is expressing those extreme emotions like grief the way that you or I would. And, And I expect that from these characters. I expect that grief to be present on their face and to be so effective as to say, I have seen that expression on my own face in a mirror after a, a sudden loss. I have, I have, I have made that fucking face. Right. I have, and and the colorist even, the nose is red. Yeah, you've that's been what crying. I was mention, the eyes, yeah, you know. I love that. When you've been crying, yeah. you look fucking ugly. At least I do. My nose is very red. My eyes are red. I don't look pretty. My chin is all dimpled from I'm about to fucking start crying and sobbing again. Even the chin, it's that ugly cry. Yeah. And I think that that's the but. slumped posture. Her shoulders are slumped, and her clothes are very saggy, and she's very just. She's She's in mourning, and that is something that I know is very obvious to a lot of people, but to me, I just I don't take that for granted when when an artist and a colorist and a writer and when the storytellers really just throw out all the old pinup right, stuff and yeah. just go for a great storytelling. I think that that's really fucking incredible, and I, I really appreciate it a lot this panel where she kind of wraps her arms around her stomach and just lies down in his bed like that that's heartbreaking to it's me heartbreaking. that panel it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking and it's it's um there's so much character like in her slumped posture and like you said when she's wrapping her arms around herself like that i agree yeah. and it's just another thing about we've never seen the inside of of Roger's room before so we're yeah. just getting introduced to the inside of his room as soon as he 
dies. I think that's also really interesting storytelling that it's familiar to us even though we've never seen it. Right. This would be Roger's room. And I love all his little I call it bird trash. Right. I call it, you know, like um I call it bird trash, his little shiny things that a magpie might collect and that's um it's it's so beautiful and so interesting. It really shows us the inside of his mind and his personality and she wants to be in there. She wants to be close to him, so she goes to his little his little sanctum sanctorum in here with all right. his little tiny bird trash carefully arranged almost in an altar-like fashion. All like hanging that. from the yeah. ceiling and stuff like As that. As John yeah. knows, I myself have my little collection of exactly this type of shit. Yeah. Something interesting I find on the ground. It's a weird shape or it's shiny or something. I like to collect that on my little altar of things. And I think that that's it's such an effective couple of pages. It's really brilliant. It's uh, sad. Yeah, I was going to say uh, I really enjoyed appreciating seeing Roger's room Um the way it is and I like the way he you know everything is just dangling and it's just also it's one of the more decorated rooms we've seen in the new BPRD headquarters yeah you're right about like, that uh, if you look at like when we saw Abe's room the other yeah. uh, panel, few panels back it was just like he had that desk and that chair from I guess Rhode like, Island yeah well, uh, and Roger, um, out of all of them, might appreciate just the art of being alive. Well, and then he's also got, like, pictures up on the wall. I, yeah. I, you can't really see much detail, but I like to assume maybe it's, like, pictures of the gang. Well, you yeah. can see Closina, maybe. Yeah, yeah there's, like, there's a poster of Closina oh, yeah. there. And I think, that, um, I think that maybe the rest of them sort of take being alive a little bit for granted. Right, I yeah. think that I think that we can all say that we've been guilty of that at some point or another. That you don't really stop every moment of every day to think about I'm alive. But yeah. Roger might have yeah. that capacity because he, you know, when we were introduced right. to him, it, he's he's he feels everything so much because of his origins. And he he wasn't really born. He just kind of was all of a sudden aw- made, and then he was awake. And right. so that's very. And it's like a couple of stories back where we've seen picking up that one yeah. object. He appreciates um, the fine details you know, of it's just living. Like all these things in there. Like we even see that thing he picked up in yeah. the well in the panel right yeah, there. Yeah, we do. The little carved stone uh, thing from Born Again. And then so and then Liz, you know, being in mourning and coming in there and just Yeah, it's like you said, she just wants to be In her grief, she just wants to be close to him. Yeah. We also see a little ball. Yeah. It kind of looks like that ball from Revival or from that little girl. And we see like um, just like keys and a bunch of little coins and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, he's, he he collects all these little trinkets. Like there's like an empty pill bottle there. It's just like it's like a nice little insight into Roger's thoughts. Right. Sure. And I posted this online. I forgot to mention it last week, but he even had a little trinket in Lost Lives. He had that little star thing. He likes collecting all that stuff. Back outside. What the hell, Johan exclaims. The other you put in body bags, but not Roger? You think he is garbage you can just throw anywhere? This is wrong. He was a person. He was a mensch. And it's got like the little dialogue. I love whenever they do, like the dialogue is a little smaller. He's kind of like saying yeah. it to himself. And he's almost seething it, though. It's yeah. almost like a, you know, he's seething with just rage. He's, what the fuck is the matter with y'all? Yeah. And for Johan to lose his shit, because we've seen earlier, even in the same story, he's very polite. Yeah. Even when he's upset about something. Even when he, yeah, you're right. So for this, he's like, you think he's just fucking garbage? You can just throw him anywhere? I, I love that he's, he's just exploded. With emotion here, and we and we've seen like um, like him and Roger on missions before, so like they probably become kind of close. Sure. And they both came on; they were like the two newest ones, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff yeah. like that. And when he says he was a mensch, I looked that up. Uh, he was a human. Yeah. 
And Abe's like, come on, Johan. And Damio's like, yeah, let's take it easy. And he's like, why? Why must I take it easy? And who are the two of you to tell me anything? And he just walks away. I love and that Abe when he's and- pulling away from them and he's like, what the, f- you know, yeah. why the fuck do I have to take it easy? This is ridiculous. You know, I mean, Roger's dead and they're treating him like he's fucking garbage. Fuck you. It's very, very cool. Yeah. At Honorb Caverns in Idaho, the black flame stands by and thousands of frogs enter this cavern. Bats fly through the air. And we see this like weird red sea shape. Is that like a giant, one of those gore temple things like is that like the product of all those frogs making like i don't know it is on fire though it's on fire and it's like just i i think think that's a big gore altar yeah like the ones that they've been making i'm trying to think i mean no listeners tell us what you think that thing is oh yeah it even's got a couple two little ones on top right there yeah a little bit yeah. yeah That's really interesting. I actually hadn't thought about that. And so the black flame talks to the Zinko frogs. You'll tell them to sleep now, to rest. We won't get started until tomorrow. And the Zinko frog is, he's trying to say tomorrow. He's like, tomorrow, day after this day. (laughs) And the black flame's like, all right, the day after this day. (laughs) I think that's a really funny part. That's a cute little beat. Back at the bureau, Abe knocks on Liz's door, and Johan tells him that she sleeps in Roger's room now. She didn't tell me, Abe says. You are her friend, but they have a connection we don't understand, Johan tells him. Abraham, about what I said, if you mean to apologize, don't, Abe interrupts. You were right. I haven't lived up to my oath to the Bureau. I've been hiding in this place, leaving field works to you and Liz and Roger. He's dead more because of me than anyone else. And we have this reveal, you know, we've yeah. only seen Abe from the head, and then we reveal he's in his combat gear. He's got the uniform on, he's got his guns and his grenades and everything. Looks great. He's hung up the yellow V-neck, and he's returning to field work, replacing Roger in the field. His next assignment was in Nebraska. It's really sad that it took Roger's death for him to get back out. Right. Well, sometimes that's... But I think that that, that reflects um, how we operate in our own lives. Sometimes it really takes something incredibly jarring to snap you out of some bullshit. Right, yeah. That's how real life is. Sure. So that's... Yeah. It was. It makes me wonder if he feels slightly guilty... Because he's been in the... Uh, I don't even think it's he has, slightly. He's been in like... Okay. Yeah. He even said, he said it was more because of him than anybody else. No, you're else. right. Yeah. You're yeah. right, Aubrey. You're absolutely correct. I can see him thinking that if he had been out there, you know, I mean, probably wouldn't have changed anything. If he had been there with Roger, he would be dead too. Yeah. Well, and I think um, if you... I mean, I, I, have, I have no way of actually knowing this, but I, I would assume if you're working in close quarters with life or death situations, you would be like, oh, if I had been there, maybe I could have yeah. helped or something. So obviously, and then, of course, we're about to see, and this is an interesting little transition, you, you know, in movies or TV shows, sometimes you will hear the sound of something happening and then Oh, and the then cut. it zooms in. I like that so a lot, cool. too. So like, I like that transition. Tack, tack, you know, he's but, typing uh, and then you, it cuts over to Daimyo. Yeah, before we get to Daimyo really quick, Johan tells Abe that it's been some time and that Abe may be taking on too much going back into the field immediately, but Abe ignores this. And he just goes, we can talk about it on the phone later. Say goodbye to Liz for me. Right. And then we cut to Daimyo. But Aubrey, like you were saying, he's kind of blaming himself. And then yeah. we cut to Daimyo. And it, we're about to see, as you know, John's going to explain, he, he's blaming himself. Too. Exactly. Yeah. He's typing up his resignation letter. And so he's saying, any shortcomings in Agent Rogers' actions at any time before and leading up to his death are my sole responsibility. And we see his healer guy in the background and he says, it is time, Captain. And you see he's just got this enormous amount of stuff on him. Um, I forgot what that's called, but that's like a thing, right? Isn't that? Or... Yeah. 
Yeah. But also, like, is he kind of... Because he's... There are some mystical things with yeah. Daimyo that we have yet to this, see. Okay. Yeah. And this th- I think this is kind of laying the groundwork. This character, um, Daimyo refers to him in a way that I will not say. <laughs> but this character seems like he's got some sort of mystical properties about him. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. So sure, he, the, I think that's a correct assumption. Yeah. So the, the cup treatment... Um, might actually be some sort of a mystical treatment mm-hmm. that this guy was giving him, and I think not so. necessarily the the same physical properties that we are familiar with with cup treatments in our physical realm that we occupy. So it might be kind of something coming from a magical perspective. <clears throat> well, I was assuming because of the cup therapy and then the way that he he designed it all. It's I was thinking it was more like his like mystical. Um, Almost say shaman, but yeah. shaman's not the right word. For, no, it might uh, be a shaman. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. say, but I mean, if for um, like Eastern philosophies, I don't know if they actually call them shaman. Well, no, I think that shaman is is something that you can find in any culture. Um, well, I mean, like I just, they have a different word for it. Yeah, for that's sure. What I meant, but yeah. the idea of a shaman yeah. is going to be yeah the same. But so yeah. yeah, totally. But like the colorist here has taken. I keep referring to him as the colorist. But he's the mighty Dave. The Stewart. mighty Dave Stewart is amazing. Obviously, Dave Stewart is an incredible colorist. So I love the way Dave Stewart here has a very warm tone just on that character, and the yeah. rest of the room is extremely. Yeah, cool. you're right. I like that. So anyway, after we just seen like you know uh, Johan. Okay, first we saw Liz and Johan, and now A and Abe, and then now Daimyo. It's like we're all seeing the way they process grief yeah. uh, and the way they process the loss of right Roger. yeah and it's interesting to see like they all have like different takes like Abe's getting back in the field Daimyo's like writing his resignation letter you know and all of um, them are choosing um to deal with it um in solitude except for Johan is the only person actually seeking out other people to talk to them. So that's really interesting. I like that. I mean, everyone deals with it in different ways, but I thought that that was just an interesting... No, I I agree with you there. Yeah. Liz cries on Roger's bed, and she has another vision with a sinister man. Did I not warn you, he asks. You gave me the name of some monster, that's all. You didn't say anything about Roger, Liz tells him. And where the hell is this Cothahem anyway? How do we stop it? Soon enough, any child will know how to find him, he says. And you know how he may be stopped. Weren't you shown the path back at the monastery? You son of a bitch, Liz says. Who are you? How do you know so much about me? Because I need to know you. Because today you are the key, he tells her. Oh, go away. I've had enough of your goddamn games. Just go away. Collect yourself, Miss Sherman, he says. You have many friends whom you may yet keep alive and all your weeping will not bring the homunculus back. Then what will, she says, her face when she when she yeah. asks that. And he's just like, nothing. And he just fades away. Uh, fucking knife to the heart there. Yeah. <laughs> but it is very effective storytelling. You know, you're going to have a lot of movies oh, yeah. and TV shows and books that are like, he's dead. No, he's not. Not really. He, you know, and so this is this is... Like, he is gone, kind of a thing, is what he's saying here in the story. Yeah. Okay, so so I know we're only at this point in the story uh, for our reading, but if he does stay dead, I kind of like that because um, it's become such a comic trope to, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody. It's like, so-and-so's dead this week. 
it almost five has minutes no later, so and so's returned from the sure. dead. I mean, it's just like you know, that's that you don't deal with death like that. That's not right. Death. That's we not just how had you deal with we that. just yeah. had the return of Wolverine yeah. recently and all this kind of stuff. So it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's almost like like you said, it, it's it's really like well, are they really like who cares? Then it has no impact. So and I think that that's I agree with that. Yeah. It gives it more weight. It gives the story more weight. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, because it's just like you know, that's how life is. That's you know? how life is. Kate bursts in saying she heard Liz call out. She tells Liz she's been sleeping a lot since then. And Liz says she hasn't been sleeping. She's still having the dreams, referring to these visions with the man. Kate, Liz asks, where's Abe? And we cut to Abe. And so it's like this. He just told her, you know, you have other friends that, you know, could die or whatever. In Lincoln, Nebraska, we get the frogs coming out of the manhole. They're in neighborhoods now. Like, this is like a crazy moment because it's like. Here they are, just in broad daylight. Like you honestly, know, I love this. Yeah, part it's really where they're great. All just like ronking around. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of for a second it kind of reminded me of the turtles too, because the, sure. they're coming out of the <laughs> yeah. manhole. It's also a very X Filesy kind of scene. Yeah, too. back at the Honor Caverns, the frog and the black flame chant into this cavern. No, you know what? I think you're right about this thing. I I think it is it a gore connected. altar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's a really good observation. Because there's can... like thousands of them, so they're all building this thing yeah. together. Yeah, and you know what? I think you can see like rib cages. Yeah. In there. I almost thought this thing over here looked like a stomach or something. I had not or... caught that. Really cool observation. That that makes it so much more effective too. These scenes, it's like this was culminating into something huge. This was they were. You yeah. Know, you get little clues to it here and there. And now it's like all ramped yes. up to this big finale type of thing. And the frogs and the black flame are all chanting and they're saying Kathahem. You can see that's one of the words that's in sure. there. With Abe's team, Kate calls in and she tells him to abort immediately. I have a feeling that Liz told her she was worried about Abe. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she's just like she sensed that Roger was in trouble. Kate tells Abe it's an emergency directive from Manning. They're getting a flood of reports from local law enforcement, the FBI, even CNN. All across North America, the frogs are moving. They're showing up in places where we haven't even identified any nests. Washington, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Idaho. Not enough data to tell where they're headed, but there are thousands and thousands of them. And I just love these panels kind of showing it's cutting to the black flame, then it's cutting to all these frogs ravaging cities. I like um, the very sketchy pencils that Guy Davis uses for this. It really is, is, I keep using the phrase effective storytelling almost to the point where it's lost all meaning, but that's that's the only way I know how to... I think it's the motion and the pacing. Yeah. It's like, it really creates this frantic of like these frogs just running everywhere and going crazy. When you look at it, it's a static image, yeah. but like this scene of them hopping all over the cars, like you can really feel yes, that. Yes, you, you can know? feel like the street rumbles. Yes. Yeah. And I, 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 like I said, I don't really know how else to express that. And especially with the the black flame, the the shots of his face. Yeah. And it's just a very, it's very loose, sketchy, yes. kind of frantic style. And that's, it's something that is just so effective. I love it. Cutting back to Abe, him and his team are surrounded by frogs. They're everywhere. 
pull back and don't stop firing ape commands. And these frogs are just stampeding them everywhere. And I can hear all of this. Yes. Like, I can hear it, you know. And this, oh, yeah. this horrible scene as one of them picks up Abe's phone and just gives a big aronk into it, into Kate's headset. So for Kate and Liz, yeah. they just, they're just they feeling the worst at this moment. I mean, that's a movie scene yeah. where she's pulling the thing off when you can mm-hmm. hear all the ronking. And yeah. You can almost hear the score building right, there. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's just so fucking awesome. This fucking book is awesome. Back at the caverns, they continue to chant, and we kind of see, like, they've been chanting into this black cavern, but as it kind of pulls in, you see these kind of green lines. There's something in there. There's some sort of Guy Davis, Mignola-esque monster in there. The old ones, they are touching my soul, the black flame says. The power of Cothahem shall be mine. And one of the Zinko frogs interrupts, Cothahem is the power of Cothahem. His power is our deliverance. His power is the future of us all. Your voice wakes him, your flame a beacon for his long dim eyes. He will find us through you, and so you are here. What may become of you is his will. And the black flame, you know, he's got his arms up raised, and then he kind of puts them down, and he's like, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> I really oh, love man. that. Once this a- is the best page, man. It's like, once again, you know, here's another guy who doesn't understand the power that he's unleashing. We've Thank talked about you. that so yes. many times. Uh, yes. Aubrey, absolutely. And that's... Just, it's so wonderful. And also because I, uh, everything comes back full circle. The things they've made you feel about these frogs right. is like, you're like, yes, you're just so. Yeah. I, I never thought I'd be cheering for a fucking frog monster, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, man, stick it to this fucking Nazi. weenie. Yeah, this right. Nazi, Nazi weenie. weenie. <laughs> he like, he's like, oh, I'm the fucking guy. And they're like, actually, you are not. Right. It's very good. And then the, as we turn over, like, Guy Davis, what are you even drawing? Yeah. Like, what are you drawing at this point? It's like such an incredible use of scale yes. and detail. Just... And then there's like these runes in the sky. It's just incredible. I don't know what to say about this. It's just the it's first time I, language. The first time yeah. I saw this, I was just like, I'd never seen anything like before never. like this ever. I was just like blown away by all of this and we're going to get even it's, more it's almost like a geiger-esque kind yeah. of a thing Definitely. however the movement is something i have never seen but like it's 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 shooting straight up with this like force yeah of like yeah it's great you've you've already said it all it's amazing back with abe the team is totally surrounded about to get stampeded by the frog monsters and Abe calls for them to lead to higher ground. And I love this moment again. Just the franticness and the motion of everything. He's like, no point in reloading. He just pulls his grenade and he throws it as he just gets stampeded. And I just love this again. Like, it blows up and then you just see his body disappear into this wave of frogs again. And then that's the end of the issue. So it's like, last issue, Roger died. And then at the end of this issue, this is where you're left with. And then it's like, okay, I guess I'll wait till next month to find uh, out if my other favorite character. I can't imagine character. what that was like for you. Jeez. Chapter four. And I love this uh, Mignola cover with Liz and, and Johan. I also made a note. Uh, that this cover fucking rocks. Yeah, it's I really also beautiful. Love this cover; it's incredible. It's got the flower and everything, and the w- the, the flower details. with the skull just goes really well. I really <sighs> love it. Mignola. Now, is this flower? <sighs> it's the flower that lit. No, yeah. The old lady gave Liz. But is it? It's almost a chrysanthemum. Oh, that's what I was thinking. And I like again. I'm not going to go into details about this, but the chrysanthemum has. A loose relation to um, DMT, and you can just Google that. 
Ah. At least on this issue, we open up and we immediately see that Abe is alive. He's totally trampled and injured. This um, <clears throat> this art style that Guy Davis has chosen here is very, again, it's like this loose, extremely loose, sketchy, yeah. almost abstract. And then like the more his he fades back into consciousness, it gets a little bit more formed and a little tighter until that's, you know, he's fully conscious and that's when you get like the full art and the full coloring and everything yeah that was very effective i like that it's, it's almost, almost avant-garde in a way but i like it i was gonna say it's almost like the different steps like when you're watching somebody draw something sure you know? yeah they and start with a loose sketch and then they start filling it in and then yeah. they tighten it up the fact that he chose that uh the method to portray coming to consciousness yeah i mean i don't know if you've ever passed out or fainted or anything but that's Once. that's how it, like, right. it's like I don't yeah. know, how to, but that's how it feels in drawing form, I guess. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. And Abe wakes up and he sees the black flame sitting on this rock over him. I I think I made a mistake. Fucking asshole. No shit, dude. God. And we turn over and we just see this. Oh, I mean, what am I looking at yeah. here? It's like this giant larval thing. So we saw that thing shoot out of the sky and here it is on its side. It's like a weird... And, like, if you zoom in on this thing, I mean, you can just see the scale again. Like, you can see um, electricity poles underneath it, just giving the kind of height and weight of this giant, like, larval cocoon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those bats are around. I didn't even notice them. They're so small around its head. But that's also something that gives it scale, like you were saying, is if you see a flock of birds or bats or something and just, like, you know, that's... They're 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 up there, and that's that's how fucking big it is. And it's like you got uh, Abe and Black Flame here in the front, but they're still tiny. They're so tiny, yeah. And then that city, yeah. You know, right. And then the scientist guy did say that he was as big as a mountain. Right. Yeah. yeah you're right. I like how the little um, in the details here, it, it almost looks like little mouths. Um, Almost, but it's, you know, I mean... Oh, that's exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. Part of the design is just a very weird alien... I just think it's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's exactly what I thought it was, like, little mount. Yeah. Like, not little, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> My God, what is that thing, Abe says, and he turns around and the black flame is gone, and Abe just walks amongst all the debris and the dead bodies... And then O'Donnell tells us what it is, right? They show him it's on TV, uh, and he just O'Donnell's just screaming. He just freaks out, and he's screaming Cothahem. Well, that settles it. A scientist says, <laughs> "All right, Professor, we're going back to your room." And Kate's like, "Hold on, I want to ask him some yeah, more questions." Like, they keep taking him away at crucial times. Let him give us all of the fucking information, right? And but the scientist has no point in that. As soon as he heard about the creature, he started to come apart. So um, I guess they they don't think they can get any more information about. It. He's just going to be screaming "Cothahem, Cothahem" over know and over. If he's coming apart. He's just very enthusiastic. Well, you notice uh, he's in a wheelchair, and it makes me wonder. I mean, is he in a wheelchair because they've like sedated him, like giving him some like yeah, drugs I to calm him, right, yeah. or does he really pills? just need? Does he really just need to need a wheelchair? I don't know. I think a lot of this is them sort of being like wow you're out of control but like yeah yeah, i mean he is very you know he is he is very um emphatic sure but i mean i think he has information that would be helpful i don't know i think they they keep pushing him right stage left yeah you know it's like he (laughs) he's about to give out the good the cute the the crucial information and they're like all right 
Time for your nap, old right, man. Yeah. But he's a, it's a very good uh, story. He story vehicle. It's a it's a oh, you yeah. know it's a it's effective storytelling. The fact that I want to hear more from this guy, but oh, we'll save that for the next issue sure, of sure. like weird things to come. And I think that's you know. Liz Burson, we've got to find Abe. Why aren't you out looking for Abe? And Kate tries to tell him that they're worried about Abe, but they have a whole world to worry about. He told me to watch out for my friends. I had to keep them alive. And so Liz is referring to what the man in the vision told her. Who, Kate asks. The man who is from her dreams, Johan responds. If I could just sleep, Liz says. And it has that little dialogue again. I like like yeah. she's kind of saying it to herself. I love whenever they, they do that. Kate says they can't wait around for her to have another dream. And Johan says, why wait? Yeah, and he's got, as we all know, he's got the power to. You know, yeah, he's got he's the like spiritual. Guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Elsewhere in the building, Daimyo attempts to make his exit, but Manning confronts him with two agents. Just where the hell do you think you're going, Captain? Manning asks. Back in Idaho, Cothahem rose over this city as fighter jets blast it. And this is just really crazy. I mean, again, the scale of this thing as it's just like ravaging the city. It's kind of like crawling across the city. Right. We see that it kind of like... Its head opens up, those little mouths open, and it just spills this, like, green, like, just tons of this green whatever, ooze, <laughs> ooze whatever, and it just fries everything. You can see, like, these people running, and then there's skeletons down here, and it's just, like, burning and destroying everything. And these, like, weird tentacles come out. They're yeah. translucent. I was going to say, they're almost like astral tentacles. Sure. Yeah. But- Translucent, probably. Yeah, no, I mean, it could be that, too. Like, they're just, it's very cool design. And as it's kind of, like, opening up, we see the frogs have the black flame, and he's, like, hoisted up on this gurney, or what? what is that thing They've that he's on? They've made a gross, weird meat thing for him. Yeah. <laughs> Out of bones and crap. It's and they have him strapped to it. Like, gore. It's they're, amazing. They're like, uh, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. You're the light. You're the light. You're the flame. Yeah. And so the black flame is just like, no, not supposed to be like, I'm the black flame. I have the power. And they're just like, light the way, flame. Yeah. And he's like, you have to obey me. Liz finds herself in a jungle looking area. Ruins and temples surround her. And we reveal that Johan is putting her in this dream state as Kate looks on. And so she's kind of like looking around. She's trying to find this guy from her vision. Liz says nothing looks familiar. It isn't the right place. But Johan says, you were not called here. You came by yourself. What happens now is in your hands. You will find what you came for because you want to. Liz sees a temple with flowing red curtains. And inside she sees the sinister man. He wears a red cloak with gold snakes decorated on it. Hey, Liz calls out. I just love that scene. <laughs> that was a great scene. He looks kind of like startled yeah, too, you know, from behind. And all I just pretense here. <laughs> she, she's she's caught him a little underwear because like he's always like yeah. with the things on his fingers. Yeah, and, yeah. In, In the darkness and everything, yeah. and here she right. kind of we we get to see what he looks like. Back at the bureau, Manning rejects Daimyo's resignation and tells the agents to take Daimyo's stuff back to his room. And so he tells him. This isn't the day for me to lose a top agent. They need him with everything that's going on in Idaho. We get this crazy scene as we watch the army fight Cothahem as Manning talks to General Ramsey on the phone. Carpet bombing, bunker busters, and cruise missiles can't even slow it down. They are considering a nuclear option now. I also like how the uh, design of uh, Cothahem is um, 
changing. It's like yeah. those Amazing. tentacles are now like a head, and it's almost like you're seeing like giant forearms. Like yeah. Right Manning can't believe they're considering nuclear. Manning, do you know how many Americans have been killed by this thing since yesterday morning? And they tell the Bureau that they have 24 hours to stop that thing. After that, we handle it our way. And this design is just so fucking cool. These pages, just the coolest design. Yeah. This mass of tentacles up here is starting to, you know, there's like a blue flame yes. up there. And then on page 380, this giant splash page is just fucking incredible. Oh, man. It's like it looks bigger every time. Yeah. Like It's like every time you're like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. It's like every time you're just like, oh, my God. What bigger is this thing? and weirder and yeah. just. More of those mouth cracks are starting well, to open up along the whole body. It's, it's right. also like a becoming almost like a, you see hints of trying to portray or convey an almost non-Euclidean yeah. kind of a feel. It's just very interesting. And again, just the scale, you can see yeah. how small the city is underneath it. I mean, this thing is just huge. And I guess I'll put this, com I was wondering where to put this comment, but when I first saw Pacific Rim, I was like, oh, Guillermo del Toro took a lot of, I think he took some designs from this. Sure. And then I looked oh. at the and then I looked at the concept art. Guess who the concept artist is for Pacific Rim? Guy Davis. Guy Davis. That's awesome. Yeah. Why did I not know that before? That's so amazing. yeah. Let's go back and watch Pacific Rim, and you're gonna see that shades of this. That makes a lot of, of sense. Wow, that's like very the cool. tentacles and all those little eyes and all those little things. It's very yeah. And Guy Davis did the concept Was, design for that. Do you think that. Guillermo del Toro had anything to do with that decision of like let's bring on Guy Davis? Oh I yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What a cool guy. Yeah, that's fantastic. Really awesome. I love the way that all connects. Yeah, it's neat. It's really great. Back in Liz's vision, the man asks Liz what she's doing there. <laughs> so you don't like people sneaking up on you in your dreams, huh? Now you know how it feels. You think this is a dream? You still think this is a dream? The man says, okay, that whole deal where you make a riddle and then make fun of me for not knowing the answer, that's going to stop right now. <laughs> that's very interesting just, that he says that, though. Sorry, well, go ahead. I just, I just love the way Liz is like, yeah, stop with the bullshit. <laughs> Let's get some fucking answers here. But I think that he's saying, I'm not bullshitting right. you, actually. Things are weirder than you could possibly suppose. And he's also saying this isn't a dream. Yeah. yeah. And, well, that's a, that's a thing that, like, um, orders of reality are a lot more quote-unquote dreamlike and that that kind of slightly connects back to what i was rambling on about earlier like i'm a very professor o'donnell kind of person <laughs> is that it um people have been there are there are shamans and quote-unquote mystics that have been saying for centuries on and all types of different cultures that reality is an illusion or or um you know another phrase for that is like maya or whatever and and what's out there is all just this 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 vast symphony of various you know interconnected that's where the idea of uh, synchronicity comes from right and all yeah. that sort of thing so like what are dreams really like if you want to get into the, all this like mystical weird kind right. of stuff it's like he's saying like no i'm not bullshitting you i'm telling you that this is uh, some weird fucking shit's going on right it's, but you I, know i think it's more like that um she knows that he has the information. She just wants him to stop being cryptic about sure, it. Sure, but like you know, he's in his, lay, lay it out. <laughs> in his mind, he's like not being cryptic. He's being straightforward as, according to him. He's like, I'm telling you, it's not a fucking dream. And she's like, ah, 
and in her then the reality that she most <laughs> often occupies right that is that counts as a dream and she's like if i could just sleep oh but i'm having dreams while i'm not asleep it's very weird so yeah i think that that's very um, there's more to what's going on yeah here, yeah. yeah anyway i'll stop o'donnelling this conversation <laughs> Liz tells the man that he told her she's the key to stopping the frogs. Enough with the hints. Why can't you just tell me? The man says that under favorable conditions, Liz would have arrived at the answer on her own. But the death of the homunculus has clouded her judgment. An American philosopher has said, You cannot tell anybody anything. Far from poetic, but true. This is a reference to the book Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. So I like how they refer to Salinger as a philosopher. As a philosopher, sure. The quote is said by Holden, don't ever tell anybody anything. If you do, you start missing everybody. All the reminiscing that Holden does in the book has made him miss the people that played a key role in his life. And because missing people hurts, Holden advises to not let people know you in the first place. Isn't that the book that a lot of like um, uh, people who try to kill assassins carry? Like uh, the guy who Ooh. killed um, John Lennon? Was right. I do know book? there's a connection there. Oh, yeah. weird. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, that's nothing to reflect on the book. No, you know, no, that's just obviously <laughs> that's just because, you know, murderers have read this. I, yeah. I don't think that that's, I mean, you can. It's but I like, mean, but it's like, it's like some kind of weird, yeah. like obsession with sure. certain. Yeah. Well, that goes back to what we were saying earlier. Like, you, you know, you can, uh, the fire, the typhoon, the, the brick doesn't care. You can use the brick to build a hospital or you can use the brick to throw it through someone's window or something. I mean, the brick does not care. Right. That's just an object. I must show you, the man tells Liz, and if we are all lucky, you shall see. I like how here the golden snake is, turns into a real snake. Yeah, and he reveals this like carving. It's like a piece of stone that's all carved on it. Yeah. And just amazing pacing here. Liz is like watching the snake. The snake is moving on this carving, and then it like goes towards this shape. And she it kind of looks it. like that, that, that rock that Roger saw, and it has a hand in the middle of yeah. it. Yeah. And Liz just bolts up. She wakes up from her vision. Abe returns from Nebraska, and Daimyo greets him. So you're not dead, he says. Not this time, Abe responds. They talk about Roger. Daimyo feels guilty for his death, and Abe said Roger lost his identity when Hellboy left. Abe tells Daimyo that he gave Roger's life direction. Yeah, Daimyo responds. That's what I want to apologize for. In Roger's room... <laughs> Kate, Johan, and Liz, what? This, sorry, this this scene where she's rifling through this drawer just full of all this stuff with like the buttons and the... Yeah. I mean, that just really reminds me of this little area I have over here in my <laughs> my art desk. I've got this like... I've got like uh, little tabletops and drawers and altars full of all this stuff. It just looks like my little... Yeah. I just really... I, I have such a connection to Roger through these scenes of his... His room and all his this personal, stuff. Yeah, his personal, yeah, his personal interests. It's very familiar. That's what he was it's into. Just, it's just funny, like, I'll be rifling through looking for this one specific weird little nonsense object. Anyway. I like how uh, Johan has the wings in his hands and yeah. I actually kind of thought back to that scene where yeah. he's like, hey, look, wings. <laughs> right. So they're rummaging through his stuff and Kate wonders why he collected all this garbage and Johan says it's not garbage and he finds the pilot wings that Roger found in the dead, just like Aubrey was talking about. Yeah. What a strange, remarkable man he was, Kate marvels. Was, Johan asks. Catherine, he still is. It's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Liz finds what she was looking for and it's the shape we saw on that carving. 
It's that little carved stone that Roger pulled from the wall in Born Again. Remember the monster they fought in there? Remember they fought this monster in there and this monster was saying, Sean Chin, I'll have revenge on you and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's where that object is from. This we- next cover, this Mignola cover is... Yeah, She's this is fucking awesome. Incredible. Yeah, it's probably like the the freakiest one so far. Yeah, <laughs> I love it so much. The I mean, obviously the the coloring is incredible too. So it looks like the team is on a plane now. They're surrounded by agents and they're heading to Cothaham. Johan explains Cothaham's mission. Cothaham's first mission will be to locate a strong geomantic epicenter. Remember, I talked about geomancy a little yes. bit on the last episode. I'll avoid going into another <laughs> rabbit hole about that. Populations tend to aggregate over such numinously potent sites. And numinously means having a strong religious or spiritual quality, indicating or suggesting the presence of divinity. The stronger the force, the more people are attracted to it. Given this, we can assume that should Cothahem be invoked, it will spell certain doom for at least one large city. And again, we cut to Cothahem and it's just ginormous. But that would only be the first. Cothahem's breath is the wind of a million years of change. It will be the breath of all living things, and the living and all life shall be new again. That is a translation of the text, but no one should imagine that we will be better off for this change. And all the corpses of all these people are transforming into these fucking weird yeah. things where they're like... Well, it's the army guys. It's yeah. the army guys transforming into that because of all the fog that the Cothahem is. Oh, right. right all that right, right, green right. fog is turning all the army guys into these monsters. How would you describe this? I, what? Mean, I thought they were like just like more like the frog monsters, but breathing flame and... A lot more eyes. Yeah. Next, I think it's the next iteration. Yeah, they have a, a flame and it's like they have a mouth. They look like the thing, only they're tiny. They're right. Like a, yeah, it's, it's really fucking weird and super cool. I'm into it. The PPRD touched down next to, next to Cothahem and you can again see how huge it is compared to their plane. And I like um, this scene where Johan sees the black flame in the binoculars. He's like, there seems to be a strange creature down there in the center of town. Or it might be a man. And Daimyo's like, does it matter? The fog turned an entire battalion into monsters. So we sure as hell ain't marching into that rescue for what might be a man. (laughs) It's not our mission anyway. We just need to get close enough to see if Liz can figure out how to use that thing. And we see that Liz has that carved stone. I think that Dave Stewart's done a good job of um, making sure that we know that it's maybe not made out of stone. Maybe it's yeah. made out of something that has a, a buildup or a residue, or maybe it's like a rust, or maybe it's just like a... I was thinking like it was just covered, because like when you see a few scenes earlier, sure. she's like rubbing the yeah, like dirt or something. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, you're right. It might be some sort of yeah. like a rust or something else like that. It's maybe like it's just some, some sort of buildup on It's that. like a relic or yeah. something, yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's probably been like sitting there for like... Sure thousands of years johan says it's possible we may have to change the mission she after all may not figure out how to use it sure but if that happens well then we're all going to end up like poor roger daimyo says roger is not dead johan exclaims why don't any of you believe me take it easy now daimyo says and then there's this earthquake and this giant crack opens up in the middle of the team, and Liz just immediately falls in with the relic. You're just like, damn it, what the shit? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like everything's going wrong. And Daimyo's like, I think that's it. They try and look into the pit where Liz fell, but just those weird 
evolved frog monsters come out, so they all have to start fighting those, and it's really terrifying, this whole scene. Down in the dark, Liz is confronted by the man again. He asks Liz, weren't you shown the path? You shall see if you only look. Behind him, Liz observes a shaman-looking man. He has a red hand painted on his head, and he holds the carved stone. Now, I want to point out that that looks like a right hand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, good job there. Yep. It's the same with the little, um, when when Liz was talking to that guy in, in the uh, temple, and the snake was showing her these right. stone carvings, that little yeah imp- uh whatever impression or, or relief was a, a right hand yeah yeah good job danielle i don't know what that fucking means but it's a good I well can guess it's, it, it's a good detail hmm. where have we seen a right hand mm. before mm, i don't know <laughs> well and we've also just you know the right some group took the right hand path and the left hand path we talked about that too maybe these are the followers of the right hand path which is not indicative of anything being good or bad yeah it's just um Teams. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and back with the BPRD team, they fight the monsters. Daimyo orders Abe to get Liz out of that hole, and Abe calls down to her. Liz observes the man chanting, and she too is chanting with him. A small flame lights from his head. So, you know, something is happening here between Liz and this guy. She kind of gets kind of taken over. You know, his li- eyes light up, her eyes light up, and whatever he's saying, she's saying... So it's kind of like they're in unison. And this little carved stone, whatever it is, the relic. Well, and I just want to point out that that <laughs> that sort of ties back to what I was saying about... I didn't go into as much detail as it would take to actually fully explain why it ties into that. But the uh, the whole synchronicity thing of yeah. like, um, why particles behave as though they're behaving in tandem even though they're very far apart. And all that sort of thing has been studied, and it's like, well, it's it's actually like if you were to study, um, if you had a, two cameras on a fish that was in a fish tank, and you were looking at these two different screens, the fish, these two separate fish, seem to be moving in unison. Right. Right. Um, except it's the same fish from right. different angles. Yeah. Okay. So, is this the same fish or the same particle from two different angles that sure. we're looking at? Is this a synchronicity I love it. that I we're love studying? It. So. This could be some sort of a holographic synchronicity within the a similar cosmos. It's just the same way that, you know, the supposed holographic nature of dreams, etc. Right. I know that sounds like a very Professor O'Donnell kind of idea. <laughs> Sorry about it, but I, I, I'm very interested in weird ideas like that, so you never know. It sounds like quantum entanglement. Sure. Yeah. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. And sparks tar- start to fly from the relic, or blue light, blue lightning... Yeah. Back with the frogs. They have the black flame propped up under Cothahem. Is there no forgiveness, no mercy? The black flame asks. Am I forsaken? Am I not the power? I am despair. Burn in silence, flame. I think that's the other frog. The frog that told him, light the way, flame. I feel like this frog is telling him that there, too. Suddenly, blue lightning emerges from the ground, blasting the frogs up, and Liz rises. Her hands hover around the stone, and she says her mantra, and light flies from the from the relic, destroying the frogs. Only she, only she, mm-hmm. could have done this. Yeah. She is the only person there capable of, of, of doing this. 
manipulating fire right. without being burned to death. Sure. She is here at this very specific moment in time with a very specific team of people that is all culminating and leading up to this fucking moment. And so, yeah. Well, let me let me I piggyback think. on that comment because in Born Again, when Roger pulled that stone, he had like a question mark above his head <laughs> yep. like Maybe he didn't even know why he was grabbing it, but we no know hi- we yeah. know him and Liz share a life force. They share a connection. Yes, and he so he had to get that too. If that hadn't happened, then this would not be possible either. It's like all those things had to happen. If Liz hadn't given him that spark of life, that also wouldn't have happened. So it's just yeah. a very like you said, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And so it's a very, it's a very all I see is synchronicity here. All I see is this very specific shaman like power being quote unquote right place right time but this is just everything is in in perfect place and perfect harmony and i think that that's speaks to the overall just the nature of the storytelling that we've been exposed to so far in this in this universe here is um it's all fits yeah into place so perfectly it really does beautiful it this story is one of my favorites just for all these reasons that you just you just explained And Liz continues to rise. The fire is a part of me, she says. The fire is mine. And she grabs onto the stone with her hands, and it creates this fire that starts shooting out towards Cothahem. And it kind of just engulfs it in flames, and we get a good boom uh, onomatopoeia as it just engulfs everything in fire. And again, the scale of this thing, you see how small Liz is compared to this giant thing above her. It's almost like the uh, fire is almost like lightning as well. It's like lightning fire. Yeah. I think lightning is kind of a, a fire, right? It's just right. a very intense Well, it's a fire. plasma. Yeah. Yeah. Cothahem disintegrates and collapses as Liz falls to the ground. Very extreme uh, incarnation of fire here. Right. We see the Cothahem's remains, all the debris from him falls down that hole along with a bunch of the frogs. So you can see all the frogs are going down there too. And we see the relic. You're right. It just looks, it, here it doesn't look like it's made out of stone. It looks all silver. Yeah. And then you see the boot of the black flame kick it into this, Jeez. into this thing. And I, w- I want to say like it happened, like he doesn't even realize no, it. No, probably you know? not. He doesn't probably even realize not. that he's doing that. You're alive. I'm alive. How did you do that? They did this to me. I can't get out of this suit. Help me, he says. What a fuck. God, and it's it's almost even a metaphor the fact that he accidentally kicks this thing down the hole because yeah. he's just accidentally bumbling his way through his whole fucking life. He's right. just like, yeah. oop, derp, derp, maybe I'll be a fucking <clears throat> idiot black flame guy and and summon a huge, horrible, what's it called, world destroying ogre? Yeah, <laughs> like a a an arcane god alien thing to just destroy everything. Like what? are you doing something around he doesn't even know and then the frog monsters are like actually being the black flame means that we're using you like a tool right and he's like i'm all powerful and they're like you're not really (laughs) so he's just sort of stumbling and bumbling his way around like oh help me and it's very so yeah i think him accidentally kicking that very important object down a hole is indicative of the way that the rest of his life is going right i'm sorry about your friend the gray man it was wrong of me to do that, he tells Liz. I'm sorry. Roger? Liz asks. You killed Roger? But but I'm sorry. And suddenly the frog monsters come and they get the black flame. 
No, you can't let them. Please, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please. As he gets drugged down into the hole with the frogs, they just kind of drag him down there. A fitting end for Mr. Pope in the black flame armor. Anybody who tries to apologize for being a murderer, I mean... Well, there are some people Okay, okay, okay. so there are some people who actually are sincere. But this guy, he's all like... Uh, I'm sorry I killed your friend. Yeah, yeah well, it and seems he, like the remorse is, is... Yeah, it, it's more because he just feels guilty about himself. Yeah. Well, and he's also saying, they made me do this. Yeah. I can't get out of this suit. Like, no, that none of that's true. We know right. that that's not true. Well, it's almost it's almost like... I think that, I think that in some cases, remorse can be sincere, even for very extreme, you know... Um, trespasses i think that i think that you can have sincere remorse and you can develop a sincere sense of remorse there's actually a was watching a documentary on former kkk members and former you know um people who were like part of this movement they were like well i was kind of like a 14 year old and i you know i came from a home life where i was being abused by my stepfather and i didn't fit in anywhere at school and these guys sort of took me under their wing and groomed me and before I realized it, I was like talking about how, you know, these people over here are animals and these people, I don't trust them. But then after talking to you and so the, the interviewer was like, um, there was this one documentary where the interviewer was a, a black man. There's one documentary where this interviewer was a Muslim and there's one documentary where the interviewer is Jewish. And so they go to these people's homes and they say, hey, so what do you think about me, though, after hanging out with me for a couple of days? And I'm like, actually, I think you're cool. So maybe I don't necessarily feel that way all the time, but then this I, these extreme views I still have, and so slowly over time they break that down. And there's this one guy who now he goes on the road giving lectures about how it's easy to get caught up in this thing, right? But not everyone who's in this movement actually believes these things. Some people are just there for the camaraderie, and right. and they realize later in life as an adult, like. Well, you can get camaraderie any kind of way. You don't need to be a fucking racist asshole about it and and commit horrible crimes against humanity by preaching that these people aren't human or whatever. And so they sit down and have very frank discussions about, yeah, I was very wrong and it was very fucking bad and I will feel remorse for that for the rest of my life, but I can't just give up. Now my job is to dedicate my life to telling people how you're being tricked this right. is a trap and how can i get other people out of this to realize this is wrong and how can i tell other people like it's possible for some people to turn their fucking life around and stop being like this and and stop being this way and really see the error of their ways and this is not what's happening to this guy no that is something that does happen but that's not what's happening here so yeah i think that there there are shades and and there are nuances to that, but this guy is just like, you know, he's kind of freaking out. And you can tell he's like, I'm sorry I killed your, your friend. But, like, there are people who are like, I, I cannot believe I took this family member right. away from their yeah. family. I will never get over that. And that's something that is, yeah, there are, th- there are varying degrees of that. And this guy is not it. I think I know who you're talking about. I um Within the last, like, I guess a couple of weeks, I saw the, I read this article about this one guy who was a really big Nazi yeah. guy. And then he... Now he runs an organization to get people out of the Nazi. Yeah, movement. he's like this and guy. I saw is really talk, and I, th- I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, to, I can't remember his name though. Yeah, I mean, when you are forming an organization that is like, we are trying to take these these people back into society yeah. and be like, you don't have to think this way, and it's it's a poison in your mind. Right. And this yeah. is something that he's like. He came all the way back. He's like, absolutely, my views are completely 180 on this, and this is something that can happen to other people and so he's he's like reformation does happen but 
it's a process. It's not going to be instantaneous. Yeah. It's a long process. And so, like you said, like this, there's no thing that's just going to snap this guy out of it. He's, yeah, no. And he's he, saying he's sorry because he doesn't want to die. Yeah, he's he's saying he's sorry because he doesn't want. Yeah, he he's not saying he's sorry because he's sorry. He's yeah. saying he's sorry because he's he's so, a douche. But so <laughs> forgiveness can exist for very extreme. Oh yeah, for very extreme. Um, uh, wrongs that have been committed, but it's not instantaneous. Oh yeah, I mean, I've even seen like stories where people will forgive the person who committed the heinous act against sure. their family member or something Absolutely. like that. And it's like you know, they and that's for- up to the individual. Oh course. yeah, of course, of course. So. But a lot of people, a lot of times, I see the people who do forgive people. Yeah, they feel like it's like all of a sudden there's a kind of a weight off of them, and, and that's a process their, for them it's, too. It's you part know. of their healing process. I don't think anyone on this podcast would say, "Oh, you have to forgive someone if they've done something bad to you." I think that it's like that's no. an individual. Oh yeah, no, I mean private I'm, process. Yeah, I was just saying it's like for them. Yeah, not, you know, sure. Everybody has to go their own path on that. Sure. Yeah, I think also if if it had turned out that this whole black flame thing did really make him like a god or whatever, I don't think he'd be sorry. Right. He was only sorry because. It turns out it's it not turns really. out it's not him. Yeah. Turns out it was this other thing. Back at the BPRD headquarters in Colorado, Kate and Abe talk, and Kate asks what happened out there. She did it all, Kate. The whole thing. I don't know how. She doesn't either. Abe tells her. Johan approaches. Catherine, I would like to see Roger. We cut to this mass crew, and they're about to do an autopsy on Roger. They're about to saw into his torso, into his arm. And Johan and Kate burst in. Stop, Johan yells. Get out, monsters, out. How could you let this happen? How, Johan yells at Kate. Johan, I didn't. But Johan just slams the door on her. And I love the pacing of this last page. Johan approaches the remains of Roger. He pulls up a chair and he just sits in front of it. And then he puts his hand on it. It's very touching. And it, that final shot is what really prompted. I, I finally felt all these feelings of like despair. Like when, when he was first killed, I was like, oh, that's shocking. But now it kind of sinks in and, and starts to weigh on you of like, oh, this loss. Right. So the way that Guy Davis really has um, portrayed this loss through Johan is, is, um, is so effective. Yeah, and, you know, when I read this, you know, I was like, well, what is... Okay, well, it does seem like a sentimental moment of, like, I just want to spend some time with my friend here, um, like anybody would do after a death of a loved one. But then he also keeps saying that Roger's not dead. So it's like, is he communicating with him? Sure. Like, is he maybe talking to him when he puts his hand on him? So it's like, all these things were kind of running through my head. And there is going to be some payoff for this, but... You know, the listeners, let's try to keep the spoilers out of the out of the comment section just yeah. for these next couple of weeks, just because there is a little bit more development here that is really nice. And I think it's a it's a nice. Um, yeah. Keep anyway, that's all that I'll say for now. But yeah, I I also had that little thought running through my head of like, well, Johan is a medium that can. Right. Talk to. We've seen yeah. so many yeah. times. That yeah. Too. So. That's been drilled into us, and so what's he really doing here? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I was also thinking is, like, you know, because he is a medium and he maybe hasn't seen Roger Spirit come out or something, and but I, I guess I kind of was, like, looking at this as, like, maybe he was just taking... This scene is, like, a um, him coming to terms and accepting that Roger really is oh, gone. Oh, yeah. That's another yeah. way to look at it. I like that a lot. And so now we're going to talk about the epilogue, or War on Frogs, issue three. This issue was published in June of 2009. Story by Arcudi, art by Carl Moline. 
Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. So we read all the War on Frog stories last week, and this was Liz's story, and it was in there. But I agree that it kind of fits nice here at the end of this story. And it would have been weird because of the way it ends. It would have been weird to read it last week without having read The Black Flame yet. At the BPRD headquarters in July of 2006, Liz sits in a cafeteria looking sullen. An agent says, hey, Liz, but she doesn't say anything. And I really like the way this artist, Moline, draws her in despair. Yeah. You can really see like the rings around her eyes and She's everything. Kind of zoned and out there. Just the expression on her face. And the other agents give this one shit. They're like, oh, first name basis, huh? Didn't look like that to me. And so this agent, she says, she's just sick. It's that damn flower that that lady gave her. Poisoned her or something. And so this is recalling the events of Black Flame Issue 2. The other agents say that this agent, Ashley Strode, is crazy for Liz. And that was mentioned by Vaughn in Abe Sapien Lost Lives as well. Yeah. He, he mentioned that. Get a little homophobia here. That's yeah. Always the, fun. There's a little bit of that, you know, and you really see, like, I think in, in a lot of these stories, we've seen, like, that the agents are, they're kind of jerks. They're grunts. A lot of the agents, yeah, they're grunts. Yeah. But also, she, <laughs> this is another kind of a pervasive problem, is is that when you are around that very, like, well, I'm a man's man, and, and men are in the army, and we're right. all men. It's very, like, sometimes I feel like there will be the women who attempt to um, also exist in this same environment are, there's a tendency to be like, well, I'm not like those other girls. I'm different. And that's right. also, I think, a very toxic kind of uh, yeah. misogyny that is perpetrated by women. And it's sort of, I don't, like that at all it's just very like yeah well some women are like this and some women are like that and that's not bad it just is a thing and so she's like yeah but all these girly girl i'm not girly i'm tough and it's like well everyone's got varying ways of being tough it doesn't just because someone anyway i just found that to be very um it's just an interesting it is interesting insight into the um atmosphere here and that might be a little bit why roger was treated so badly and why you know, there's a gang of misfits that are all very good people, but they're kind of isolated. From right. Like yeah. Very toxic, misogynistic. Even though they're part of something, they're still alienated. Sure. And yeah. like, why yeah. wouldn't you want to be alienated from this? It's a really weird, gross culture of pervasive, like, I don't know. It's just very, this is kind of like. Yeah. We get a flashback before the events of the Black Flame. Liz has torched another building full of frogs. Daimyo says, so much for keeping it quiet. And as Liz walks out, Daimyo approaches. Hey, I got to talk to you. So tell me, what the fuck was that? And Liz (laughs) just lights up a cigarette with her fingers. Efficient, she says, as she walks off. So Daimyo's not happy about her just torching everything. And I guess I like the look at her face. She's like, she's walking out of the building. She's like, that shit's done. Yeah, she really like, she really um, saunters out in all her superhero glory. (laughs) and this is maybe where Strode first sees Liz, and she's kind of a celebrity. It makes me think of those guys in the John Severin issue. They were like, wait, you met Hellboy? Yeah. So for Strode, it's like, oh, shit, there's Liz, which I could imagine that happening. You'd look up to her and be, yeah, impressed with her. An agent, and I don't know who this is. I thought maybe it was Vaughn, but I'm not sure if it is. He he has glasses and blonde hair like Vaughn did. I thought it was him too, but then, you know. Yeah, sure. we, we, he has a very short story in this one. So 
he tells Strode that Liz fried her whole family in the neighborhood. And this guy's a jerk, too. Yeah. Like, using her worst possible lowest moment against her that she and he even recognizes oh she didn't even mean to do it she couldn't help it but uh i still think that she's a maybe terrible not person your, maybe not your first choice for a friend what the fuck kind of a comment is that and it made right? me think of how they talk shit about abe in the war on frog story and yeah, just all this yeah really rude and unnecessary oh she flash fried her whole family like that wasn't traumatic for her beyond anything you could possibly experience there's no empathy coming from any of these very two-dimensional characters of like well dude if you accidentally fried your whole family in a paranormal accident that you don't even understand would you want someone to be talking shit about you and have no empathy like that's really uncool so again another example of this horrible environment yeah And, and just the way he talks about it he's just like well did you know she killed her whole family in neighborhood and then blah 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 and then he goes and apparently, she didn't know she was doing it. So the way he adds that apparently, yeah. it's like yeah. he's all like, apparently, Wouldn't I don't be really believe. Right. I don't really believe that she though. She sucks. Right. So it's a very yeah, kind of gross. And we get a cool montage of Liz going on all these various missions. So I think Aubrey, you mentioned last week that she was missing from a lot of those War and Frog stories. So yeah. here, here we kind of see she's running. She's her own field commander, and she's leading all these missions. And I kind of like this, you know, I kind of like getting to see Liz doing her thing. You can see that she's, you know, we saw so many times Roger was just blowing away all these frogs on these different missions. Well, she's doing it too, you know what I mean? She's kind of doing the same thing. It's almost like, you know, we, we've seen our original core group and they're all kind of going off and leading their own little teams Yeah, with gonna, um, yeah. Johan bouncing back and forth. Yeah, this is going to be like the one of the nerdiest things, which is saying a lot that I've said here, but... uh. In one of these panels here, she almost looks like she's fire bending. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about right there. Yeah, the second one, right? Is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> we see another encounter where Strode tries to talk to Liz. Hi, Liz says. When did we start recruiting female combatants? So I think like Liz is also. It's mostly guys. It gives you the sense that they're right. like even Liz is like, oh, I've never seen a female soldier here. Sure, and I think it's it's also a very neutral way of. Of addressing that, it's yeah. not. She's not like, um, what the hell are these women doing here? Right. She's like, oh, we started recruiting women. Okay. And Strode says she transferred from the Navy about ten months ago. I saw that you're going to be my commander on our next mission, so I just wanted to say hi. Okay, guess I'll see you then. And Liz just walks off. Liz meets with Abe and his shirt and Kate. (laughs) And Liz says that she never gets to see Abe and Kate anymore. And she tells Abe he can't keep sending Roger to do his dirty work. So in light of what happens, I could also see how Abe would feel really guilty. Because if Liz has already been telling him, oh, you're sending Roger to do your dirty work. And then the next thing that happens is Roger dies on a mission. I could see how Abe is like... You know, how he would feel that. Right. Liz tries to get Abe back out into the field, and she says, this mission has no action. He can focus on procedure and new field tactics. Kate interrupts, and she tells Liz that it's her catch. What? My catch? What good am I in a spot without any frogs? Kate tells Liz that she's supposed to be leading and developing agents as well. She should be setting an example by working as part of the team. But Liz feels like she's being punished. I like the way that kids draw on there with their glasses kind of slightly down. Yeah. yeah. It just makes me think of a, te- a teacher I used to have. Kate says, think of it as an opportunity to focus on procedure. And Liz is just like, hilarious, because that's the same thing Liz was telling Abe. 
Yeah. She was like, it's kind of an opportunity to focus on procedure and field tactics. And then Kate is telling her the same thing. It's great. It's a good little jab. At the mission in Montana, Liz and the agents wait for Johan and his team, and they inspect frog carvings. Liz assigns the agents to check upstairs, and she's going to check the basement. And Strode and the other agent go upstairs, and the agent is all scared of Liz, right? He's like saying... Oh, well, heat rises. So, like, if she sets it on fire and they're in the and they're upstairs, then they're going to get burned. You know what I mean? And he's kind of like, well, they don't I, they don't trust her to be leading the yes, mission. Yes, exactly. Which is very that's like, what it is. Honestly, I think that's a little um, presumptuous. Like, dude, you're just a fucking soldier. Shut the fuck up. If you don't want to be a soldier and follow orders, then you can leave and get whatever. What is the thing when you're dismissed or discharged? Yeah, yeah, dishonorable discharge or whatever the hell. Well, we saw those guys in the dead. They were like, we don't want to work here anymore. Yeah, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, you're the cleanup crew for some very fucked up shit. I wouldn't want to work there either. And but I just feel like he's like, he's trying to be like, oh, I know better than than Liz, who has been on way more missions than me. Sure, like, dude, shut up. And and let's point out the fact that. Uh, if you're in a fire, if the, if the place is on fire, you don't want to be in the basement. That's going to be like the that's like the death trap. You cannot right. get out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, anyway. if you're on the if second floor, at least you can try jumping out the window. Yeah. And Strode says the same thing. She's like, "Man, don't you ever stop with that crap?" And then she notices she's not getting a signal. Agent Sherman, she calls into the radio. She can take care of herself. The other agent says, "Don't worry about her. Worry about you." Famous last words as they come across a nest of frogs. I like this, the way he drew these these frogs. I like this big mouth frog here. Yeah, there's one big giant one in there That's in cool. the nest. I also like how when this is going on, we see Liz going down into the basement and she sees that blonde hair. And as she gets close to it, it's just a wig. Yeah. Right, yeah, there's a little horror moment fake out. Liz goes back outside and she notices that two agents are missing. She's like, hey, where are the other two? Upstairs, the guy agent, it looks like he's being turned into one of those um, altars or whatever. <laughs> he, he's been totally killed. Strode is about to be eaten. She's tangled up in the big frog's tongue. Liz arrives, but she doesn't torch the place. She just burns the big frog's head. I like how she has some focus where she can just kind of like, right. okay, I'm just going to burn. And you see like smoke starts coming out of his nostrils and then his head just blows off. And she holds the rest of the frogs at bay with her fire. And she rescues Strode. Strode is kind of out of it. She wonders why the frogs don't attack. Oh, they will soon, as soon as they get over Big Poppy's head exploding, Liz says. The trick is, how do I torch through all of them and get you out alive? Yup, because heat always rises, Strode says. Um, right, Liz responds. (laughs) So she's kind of like, what the shit is that about? Strode and Liz get a good action beat as they take out the frogs back to back, Strode with her shotgun and Liz with her fire. You sobered up pretty quick, Liz tells Strode. And so they have a cool moment. They take out all those frogs. As they walk down the stairs, Liz looks at Strode. That was pretty impressive. Agent? Ashley. I mean, Agent Strode, she says. As they get outside, Liz asks Strode if she's okay. I'm fine now. Thanks, Agent Sherman. Liz smiles. Call me Liz. So she finally developed a rapport with her, but then look at her now. And so we cut back to the cafeteria where Liz is all, she just looks very disheveled after all the events of the Black Flame. One of the agents asks her, so you really think a flower can make somebody that sick? Gee, I don't know. Let's mull that over for a second, Strode says. Do you really think a ghost can live inside an empty flight suit or a fish man can command a combat unit or that a giant slug can take over half of Nebraska? 
She's right, dude. It's a different world now. Magic, monsters, curses. Throw out all that stuff you thought you knew, like logic and common sense. If you can't do that, you'll never know what's going on around here. What do you think of this last page here? So cool. So we see that Liz is still bearing the burden of that of that sinister man in the gold robe. And he's just kind of had his hands on her shoulder. So from her point of view, she's still in this like desolate black world. It's just all gray and black. And so she's still there. Even though all this stuff is happening, this thing is still looming over her. Right. Yeah, so the Black Flame, That's a, that story was a doozy. I want to read a little bit here from the afterward. Mignola says, The Black Flame came together really fast. It's pretty hard to remember who came up with what. Early on, John suggested that we create some kind of old-school supervillain. I grew up reading Stan Lee and Jack Kirby comics, so I was all for it. We both loved the Black Flame character briefly introduced in The Dead, recognizing him as the Red Skull of our BPRD universe. So what if the Red Skull made himself into Doctor Doom and then slowly turned into something else? Add the escalating of the frog problem and Liz Sherman's mysterious friend, and there you go. I'm pretty sure we cobbled the plot together over a single lunch, and then John went home and did all the real writing. I think the Black Flame established how John and I work most of the time on this series. We talk and he writes. I hate typing and I can't spell. But I like going to lunch and I don't mind talking on the phone. Great. <laughs> also, John is a much better writer than I am, so the more I stay out of his way and let him do what he does, the more he makes the characters his own, the better the book is. That's very generous. So. Yeah, and he says, in this collection, you see the BPRD really turn into the series that continues today, thanks to both John and the great Guy Davis, helped along by some wonderful guest artists. I am very proud of this series and increasingly embarrassed about taking any credit for it. Aww. There you go, Mike Mignola. A great guy. Yeah, and... um. I, and so I, it makes me think of, um, you know, Mignola comes up with a lot of the big idea beats and they talk about it. They talk about what's going to happen. And then, you know, John Arcudi comes in and he I fleshes out all the dialogue. Yeah. And so, again, they talk about in the sketchbook, there's some neat little details. They talk about Mike drew the, the armor for the Black Flame. That's so cool. There's this little sketch where it shows the Black Flame shooting fire out of his hands. I don't think that they did that in the comic. But his little word bubble says... Yeah, put on some pants. <laughs> or he says, put some pants on. So I guess he's like frying Roger. I don't know. Uh, they, they knew that that was going to happen. In the sketches for the Black Flame, we also see the sketches of that dead body that Pope had in that case. And so we saw another version of the Black Flame. Remember in the dead, we saw that picture of a, another Black Flame sitting on a plane wing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that in the dead? I think that that's the old Black Flame, that body that he had in there. Because you can see it's kind of burned all around the top and the shoulders, mm. and that's where the flame would have been. Where There's also some really cool sketches. Mike designed the muzzle and the mechanical things that those Zinko frogs wear. We get a lot more detail of the Cothahem growth cycle. I like how there's a little frog with like a graduation yeah. cap or whatever. <laughs> it's really cute. And it's showing the different stages. So... Guy Davis really worked out how this thing would open up and evolve. And he's got all the different stages labeled. I really like all that. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about is, well, maybe the second to the last thing I want to talk about is this ad. Remember I sent you guys that ad? Yeah. So something, you know, this this story is is kind of a bummer. And, you know, it's um there's a lot of deep stuff. And so I thought it'd be nice to break it up with this little ad. So if you read the Black Flame in issue form like I did, 
every month you were laughing at this really silly thug shots advertisement. So I'm going to post this online in case you've never uh, seen it. But I remember it being in every issue. I just remember laughing every time I saw it. So it's by Guy, the art is by Guy Davis, and it says, uh, the BPRD in How Thug Shot Saved My Marriage. And we see them all holding up shot glasses. I kind of noticed like Liz and Abe's have stuff in them, but it doesn't look like Johan's has anything in you it. Can't, yeah. It's an advertisement for these uh, little shot glasses. They have all these like 20s t- style thugs on them. And the crew are just saying all these stupid things. Abe is going, What do you hear? What do you say? And Johan in German, he says, The mother of grace. This is the end of Rico. Liz says, Was you ever stung by a dead bee? I really like that. <laughs> and then we see a monkey with a gun. And he goes, Top of the world, Ma. And then at the bottom is Hellboy. And he goes, All right, enough of this shit, you guys. So good. But it's kind of cut off a little bit. Oh, so awesome. And I and I feel like the the Hellboy is Mignola. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like because Guy Davis draws Hellboy in a different way. So it almost makes me think like it's Mignola coming in at the end of the advertisement. Go, all right, enough of this shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's Hellboy, but it's also Mignola, and it's just this little advertisement for these uh, little Guy Davis thug shot shot glasses. I would really like to track one of these down. But um, anyway, just really funny, and I just really enjoy that. I'll post it online in case you haven't seen it. And the last thing I wanted to talk about was Stan Lee. You know, Stan Lee passed away this week. You know, he's not super involved with Hellboy or Mignola. I don't even know if Mignola and Stan Lee have ever met or what. I know Mignola worked on a lot of Marvel stuff back in the day. Well, did you see they the... Did. Um... They did meet. He told a story about how he was on a panel with him. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I just, did you see the tweet that uh, Mignola put out? Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. yeah, and it was. I thought that that was really good too. But, you know, um, we owe a lot to Stan Lee. I know... You know, Danielle and I, we've met Stan Lee and Aubrey, you've met him too and got some books signed by him and obviously very influential despite what you think about, you know, whether he wrote or whatever. I mean, he's a huge figurehead for comics in general and for the promotion of the genre and everything. And um, yeah, you know, it's um, I was sad, you know, I was sad about his his passing, but you know, he was 95 years old. He accomplished so much in his life. And I figured after his wife died, he was going to pass soon after. I'm surprised he lived as long as he did after Joan died. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, Stanley was just like, you know, somebody who was like, you know, very important to like everybody's lives almost, you know, he touched yeah. so many people. And I guess this know. is a more pragmatic way of looking at it. But we all, we all have to die at some point. And I know that Obviously, I do grieve when I lose loved ones, friends and family that I love. I do grieve, obviously. And that loss is very important to, you know, you have to deal with that. And and dealing with loss is very painful. And I'm not trying to take anything away from that at all. But we all we all are going to have to die. And I think that he lived such a full, long life. He was doing appearances at cons well into his 90s. Yeah. And I mean, just the 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 joy and the strength that he did this. I mean, how many people do you know in their nineties that are like Excelsior true believers? Like he's very emphatically pro fans and spending time with fans and really being enthusiastic about his life's work up until when he passed away. And I think that that's very, you know, as far as living a life, that is inevitably going to end in death. That is just the way to do it. And he's still doing these cameos and these movies. And it's, <laughs> yeah. I just think that that's very, 
you know, obviously it is always sad to lose someone, but you, he's given us plenty of opportunities to celebrate his life. Yeah. So I think that that's oh, yeah. something that he, he is just such a positive force in a lot of people's lives that he's going to leave everyone with so many positive memories. And I think that that's really ultimately what it's all about. Yeah. So that's really, you know, if you're going to take anything away from it and just tacking onto that, um, I, um, Mike Mignola posted on his personal Facebook page this little story. He said, I didn't know Stan Lee, but we were on a panel together once. In fact, it seems like it was just the two of us on the panel. I don't know for sure. But I know we were right next to each other, and we got to joke with each other. He was super quick, and it was a challenge to keep up with him. Wow. He seemed to know, yeah. He seemed to know who I was, though I suspect he was good at faking things like that. Just a little, you know, a little comment. Right. Anyway, at some point, somebody asked me a question about Hellboy, and I remember mentioning Ragnarok and pausing as it hit me that Stan, through the Thor comic, had introduced me to Norse mythology. Then really, how many other things he had introduced me to that had changed my life? Would I have been on a panel at a convention? Would I even be a cartoonist if not for this guy next to me? No. So right then, I got to stop and tell him how huge an influence he had been, and I'm glad I did. And that's something he posted, Mike Mignola posted on his Facebook page Monday at um, around 2 p.m. So that's a public Right, post, wow. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That is yeah. so awesome. I love hearing that story. I you know, I like to point out, like, you know, Stan Lee started working in comics when he was, what, 17 years old, uh, working at Timely. Right. And so, you know, and then, like, you know, just, like, the generations of people, of fans whose lives he's touched, you yeah. know. And he, he, you know, he was a great storyteller. He, he brought a lot of joy to billions of people. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, I wouldn't have read that aloud if it hadn't been a public post, right. I'm not trying to oh. like, oh, this is what he said on his private Facebook page <laughs> for a very specific group of people. No, this was a public post, so yeah. I feel yeah. I feel like it's safe for me to probably yeah, do that, right? So, so okay, anyway, but yeah, yeah no, he's touched. Oh yeah, I mean, he's touched yeah. so many people's lives in so many and ways, and it's you know, I mean, it's just like you know, like he's such you know, like my dad read comics, and then I read comics, and then you know, like even my nephews, like you know, they love you yeah. know the, the characters. Yeah, um, and he's also was responsible for I think a lot of how the ideas behind these comics spread. Maybe he wasn't necessarily um, he wasn't necessarily involved in all of the storytelling right. or whatever, all the, the, the specific characters. Yeah. But he he was a proponent of these are a force of good in the world. Yeah. These change people's lives for the better. And and you can create stories in which you can tell the very difficult um, challenges behind being a a black person in America or a Muslim person in this part of the world, or you can you can tell these stories and and you can really show the the different points of view of like no, actually yeah. that's what makes this country great, and you can stand up to bullies. And I think that he was very yeah. instrumental in just he 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 became a personality yeah. in and of itself he became a character the stanley character traveling the world bringing these messages to people of like this is what it's all about true believers you have to really fight for justice and you have to be a friend to people who are maybe having a hard time and i think that that's something that has affected everyone's lives more than than people will really realize or care to admit yeah, and and I like how every time you saw an interview with him or like anything, he was always so positive. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, really he always positive. had a great positive energy, and he never really. And I don't think I've ever seen him be like yeah. negative. So that's his and, true legacy, really. Yeah, I think, just, and that's 
you know, bringing positivity into the world. Yeah. yeah. When when we had an opportunity to meet Stan Lee, I wanted to get some books signed, you know, by the legend. And I was looking through my issues to try and find something that he actually wrote. I wanted him to sign, you know, an issue that he actually wrote. And I had the uh, Amazing Spider-Man issues where the comics code, the very first time that they didn't use a comics they code. They didn't use it, yeah. And I researching have, have a, the first one. Yeah, and researching about that, you know. People thought it was important to put a drug element into comics and show teach kids that they were bad. And the comics code was like, you can't talk about that shit in comics. And Stan Lee was like, well, then it's going out anyway yeah. without the comics code. It was like the first time that that had happened. Yeah. I think um, Neil Adams also did a similar thing in DC with uh, the Green Arrow. Or- well, it was after the Spider-Man thing and they released it without the code. And all of a sudden, I think the code changed. And then that's when they did the uh, Speedy getting addicted to heroin. Right. And then and Green Arrow. And, and you know now they don't even use a comics code and mm-hmm. comics comics nowadays talk about all different societal issues that are important and are controversial stan was pushing and for that. and i think yeah he was pushing for that way back in the day so i think that's just an example of he wasn't just a writer he wasn't just a character creator or whatever he also you know, he he pushed for the evolution of yeah. the medium to. He thought it was important to make a fucking point. You have yes. to have yeah. something to say, and that's another thing that I I saw some people mentioning. I wish I could attribute this to a specific person. I know that I saw this in the discourse online right. somewhere. So I apologize if I'm I'm not trying to take the words out of someone's mouth or whatever. But I saw some people having discussions about how there's a lot of guys losing their shit like man babies losing their absolute shit over oh you can't have a muslim girl be a superhero what the fuck is that about like well what the f- you know and then people are so mad about what is the word that they use they use a specific phrase uh swj oh or yeah something. Uh, yeah sj i don't know what the fuck that's sjw and they use these very specific buzzwords and and stuff that talk about um is pc whatever pc culture is supposed to be or whatever that something should... like the the pc sjw i guess snowflakes. whatever the fuck they're talking about and so like honestly my bitch my good bitch you are the one that is offended when you're like it's just it says so much more about you that you're like it's you're basically announcing to the world i don't like jewish people i don't like black people i don't like women and it's like i don't like gay people look i don't like people with short haircuts and it's just a right. very weird yeah. So, and and so they're they're trying to say, you why are you trying to inject all of this social commentary into my comics? Why are you trying to force your commentary about society into my stories? That's ruining my childhood. You're taking this away. That's changing the way it's been done. Actually, my good bitch, like... <laughs> The way it's been done, the way you're supposed to fucking do it, the the ultimate example of how comics, you're 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 contradicting yourself. Stan, the man, the Stan, the Stan Lee, the legend, is telling you that's the only way to do it. Right? Is it's supposed to talk about life and people's lives, and you're supposed to talk about the way we affect one another as a society, the way that we interact. You're supposed to build empathy. You're supposed to tell stories about the hero overcoming the bully you're supposed to give people hope who have no reason to hope in their lives you're supposed to be giving uh hope to children that someday they'll grow up in a world that is a little more kind and a little better and it's like you're completely missing the point go back and read the comics from your childhood you nerd go back (laughs) and read these comics that are supposedly you're like oh you're ruining my childhood go back and read the comics from your childhood they all talk about 
justice for people who need justice. Yeah. They're yeah. all talking about these societal issues, man. Like, so yeah. what are you talking about? Like, what, since when have comics not talked about that? Yeah, and I, you know, just to kind of piggyback off that, I don't want to get too far off topic, but, like, I remember I was talking to you about this, you know, when I was a little kid. I was a little brown kid reading comics. Yeah. And, like, the Robbie Ray as Ghost Rider that they have now, like, if that was around when I was a kid, like, I would have been obsessed with that. I would have had the jacket. Yeah. I, that would have been, I would have bought the, my first car would have been that car. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I would have been, obs- if I if, I, if I was we, I a mean, kid, we are obsessed with that character. Yeah. It's a great character. But, like, if that character had been around when I was growing up, like, that would have just made my whole childhood, you yeah. know? Uh, and so, He's so fucking yeah, cool. And, like, I think, literally yeah. the only difference is, like, the character has brown skin. Like, that's so fucking yeah. cool. That's so cool. And we take that as being so cool. But like really, these like the kids who are reading the Ghost Rider now are watching the the Agents shows of Agents Shield, of yeah. Shield. They're they're looking at Agents of Shield going, That guy looks like me. I'm gonna get that jacket. Like I'm gonna, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's very cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a cool I mean, perspective. That's yeah, it. You know, I yeah. love hearing about that. I think that's awesome. So anyway, cheers to Stan Lee and we'll be back next week. So now Aubrey's gonna say all the things. <laughs> Whenever you're right, did you have more to say? Uh, no, it's just like you know, it's just like uh, you know, going from that to this. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know. Sorry, I've been on several soapboxes. I have to no. apologize. I kind of go on and ramble. You're on uh, Danielle's soapbox. I know. Like Stan's soapbox. Oh, like Stan's soapbox. Hey. Danielle's soapbox. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> so share us your thoughts on the Black Flame stories. Uh, you can send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. You can also join us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club podcast and follow us on instagram and twitter at hellboy book club and check out our friends at uh, magnoliaverse and what was that discord again it's on the discord app yes find us on discord and that link is posted on our social medias yeah you can find the podcast at podbean apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast from on our next episode we'll be discussing the universal machine so pull out your back issues trades digitals head down to your local library and check out your library apps and join us next time on the Hellboy Book Club. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle Renee. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, Excelsior. Oh.